Welcome to the 16th ever episode of the Video Store Junkies podcast, a podcast about movies and the experience of watching them. It's Friday night, so of course there's only one place that you can find us, and that is back in the video store. And after our last episode, we have made a beeline for the horror section yet again, because after watching Night of the Living Dead, we were left wanting more, and luckily there's a lot more to be found in George A. Romero's Living Dead universe. In 1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. It became the classic horror film of its time. Not that room! Not that room! Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. This situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. Dawn of the Dead. Meet me on the roof. That's right. Tonight we are talking about the second installment in one of the most important horror franchises ever, George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. I'm Zachary Edgerton, and honestly, I'm getting a little bit worried. There are uh, there are a lot of zombies out there, and they seem to be uh, multiplying every minute. So luckily, though, I have a couple of friends here that can kind of help me survive. So let's go around and introduce ourselves and talk about our, uh, I usually say relationship, but I guess our history with this movie. When did you first see it? Uh, you know, kind of what what's the background, your personal background with this film? And also, most importantly, uh, where would you hold up if there was a zombie apocalypse today? Because obviously, when this movie was made, shopping malls were kind of a new and exciting thing. They've kind of fallen out of favor. So I kind of want to hear, are they, are they still the best place to hold up in a zombie apocalypse? Or are there better places in 2021? Uh, Paul, let's start with you. Who are you? Uh, you know, tell us about your relationship with this movie. And where can we find you when the zombie apocalypse breaks out? Well, I'm Paul Cardulo, and uh, I first saw, I didn't see this till I, it was either somewhere in time in 1983 or 1984 because I was in high school, and that we had the day off because the teachers were doing a sick out, I think, and so they decided <laughs> to send us all home. So instead, we went to uh, our friend uh, Stephanie's house, and we picked we must have picked this up at at Errol's Rents, which was the local video store and and watched this and absolutely loved it um and then over the years i've watched it you know i keep lose track of how many times right um and uh so you know i think um several years ago i you know i bought the the deluxe set and showed my my sons the you know took them the journey through at least the the first three movies and then we stopped <laughs> of the series but uh where would i hold out well you know what i mean if you've been to a shopping mall lately they're pretty damn deserted there's like there's hardly any at least the ones i've been to other people go no so-and-so mall's crowded well fuck you the ones i've gone to have been pretty empty um and so you know what i bet you if you go there like in this movie the zombies return are drawn to the mall well no one's going to be drawn there because no one goes there now anyway. So the mall's going to be pretty empty, so it should be pretty safe. So I think I might still actually just go hang out at the mall because there'll be less people and less zombies. And, and less food. And less well, food. Well, well they're not the Cinnabon. <laughs> you, you can... Wait, did you mean less food for the humans or less food for the, the zombies? zombies? Less food for the humans. The whole point of going to the mall was that it was chock full of good stuff. And if it's well, there's still food there. Just no one, you know, no one eats it. 
Cinnabon's never going to go bad. The, the pretzels from Aunt Annie's pretzel God. place are probably yeah. good for the next 50 years. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, easy. I, I think after, after a month of eating nothing but giant pretzels and Cinnabon, you'd probably suffer a fate worse than being turned into yeah. a zombie. Um, and hey, for more about Errol's Rents, uh, listen to our 11th episode where we talk all about our, our hometown video stores. So, um, Renee, who are you? And uh, what uh, answer all those questions that I just asked. I'm not going to repeat them. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I am Renee St. Aubin, and um, I'll be honest, when I first saw this movie, it would have been on something like TBS or some just sort of maybe HBO or something, because there are certain scenes that I remember from it as being, you know, a kid, uh, but it was a long time before I rewatched it again, and I've seen it a handful of times over the past few years, uh, so I do not have as long a history as many of you do. However, I was trying to think last night about what you were going to ask. And I'm very happy because this is what I thought you were going to ask. So I gave it a lot of thought. Amazing. I totally, yeah, I totally Never cheated. Be. Yeah. So you I thought cheated I, by reading my mind. I don't think yeah. I cheated. <laughs> um, so I thought, okay, you know, everyone's going to be clamoring for the Walmart and the Target. Probably a lot of people are going to be like, let's hit up the mall. Um, so I thought the best place to go would potentially be like a small, like small pharmacy, a small like Dollar General or something where people maybe wouldn't expect to hang out. But in all reality, I would probably not leave the house. Uh, and I gave a lot of thought to I have a bulletproof window in the front, so I think I'm fine there. I have a fence in the back, so I probably tear that apart and use the pieces to, you know, block. Anyway, I'm not going to get through this whole situation. Um, but, yeah, that's probably where I would be uh, at home. <laughs> if I had to leave, I would go to a very small store. You have a bulletproof window? <laughs> I was going to say, if we had more time, uh, I think we would try to unpack that a little bit. But maybe that's yeah. an episode, uh, uh, a topic for another episode. Tech yeah. savvy zombies are you running from? <laughs> it was here when I bought the house, but yeah. It's, oh, okay. Yeah. Are you sure it's bulletproof or did they just tell you it's bulletproof? Well, that's a good point. I Only never tested it. Okay. Yeah. Hey, yeah. yeah. It's like a out. hurricane window, essentially. We're but, shooting you know, it. You get a hurricane window and they're like, look, it's bulletproof. So that's more exciting than saying I have a hurricane window in the front. True. And, oh, fair enough. Yeah. And I, in a zombie, I don't think I get through either Sharnado one. proof. Yeah. Well, Alan, <laughs> uh, who are you? And uh, also all those questions. <laughs> All right. Well, unlike Renee, I didn't study for this test at all or even think about what was going to be on it. <clears throat> but I do know my name, Alan Watkins. And my relationship with this movie is like most, you know, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, I've, I think I've seen this part and I hadn't seen that part. So I'm going to say that the first time I saw this movie was the I mean, at least all the way through was the other week when I watched it. Now, I had watched the remake somehow before I watched this and if you want to think this is a really good movie, that is a great order to watch them in because the, uh, the remake didn't didn't do it for me at all. Um, now, Zombie Apocalypse, I think a mall is a great place to be, especially the mall like they had. I mean, they it, it was it was kind of interesting. And, you know, maybe we can talk about this later, but it was it was kind of like that. You know, it reminded me of the last year, you know, when they you know, you're in quarantine and you know, you want to do this and you want to do that. Well, I mean, they basically had everything that they could possibly want to do there. I mean, they had food, they had 
you know, they could go to the, well, there's probably a video store in there somewhere or something that at least had some videos. They had guns, they could go shooting, whatever they wanted to do. So I think that would be a great place, but it was, you know, sort of that, that underlying theme was like, even if you have everything that you need, you're still not happy because they seemed really unhappy that they were in this mall with everything that they needed. Um, I would have killed more zombies that I would have like, you know, I would have, uh, cleaned up the mall. That's what I would have done. Um, I don't know. Maybe that gets boring after a while. Yeah, you, you can only kill so many zombies before you need another diversion. Um, but hey, you know, that, I guess you'd have, uh, assuming that you survived, you'd have, you'd have plenty to, uh, to occupy you if that was your thing. Uh, it's, it's like killing bugs, because I always think about the same thing during The Walking Dead. They see these three zombies. It's like, Joe, just poke them in the head and kill them. Because what if they come back and eat you later? You know, just get <laughs> rid of them now. The <laughs> get a long True. stick. Well, they do, clear, do they do clear out the, they do clear out the mall. Yeah. It's just the outside. I, I, I don't think I want to be involved. I, if okay, sorry, Alan. If there's a zombie apocalypse, I don't want to be with you because I feel like we'd be running and trying to get somewhere and be like, hold, hold on, hold on. I see well, more I zombies. Alan, yeah, Alan, yeah, Alan yeah, we, I have to go. We, I have to go there's zombies everywhere. You, you don't have to kill all of them. And Alan, there's like, no. more of them because they heard you killing the last batch. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> Well, Bill, how about you? Uh, who are you? And, uh, you know, what's your history with this film? And oh. most importantly, where would you hold up in a zombie apocalypse? Uh, okay, so I'm Bill Mulligan. Um, my history with this film goes really deep. I went to a famous monsters convention in 1975. Peter Cushing, Ingrid Pitt was there. And I believe, although I, I don't have any evidence for this other than the memory, that either Tom Savini or someone else from dawn of the dead was there because there was a table and and a friendly guy with a bunch of body parts and they were so realistic like this is just mind-blowing you got to remember the gore good-looking gore stuff was not really common back then even even my beloved night of the living dead it was just you know butcher parts these were like arms that looked real bites in them and it was just really really cool so i was on the lookout for what this this movie was about when i heard Dawn of the Dead, the commercials came on and everything with uh, that wonderful voice, though. I can't remember the guy's name. He was, he was in a soldier story. Uh, dang it. He also did the uh, Blackula trailer. Great voice. The, the trailer was incredible. It was unrated, so I don't... I think... Okay, this came out in 78. I should have only been about 17 when this came out, but I, I swear I saw it at the earliest opportunity. And um, people ran from the theater. I've never seen that since. People ran. You, you know exactly when. Early in the movie, two scenes that pretty much told people this was not for them. And I was. I just strapped down for a ride. I just saw things I never imagined seeing. It was amazing. I loved it then, and I love it now. Um, that was. It was one. It's one of my top ten movie experiences. Dawn of the Dead. Going in there thinking, I thought maybe it was going to have a lot of nudity or something. I wasn't really sure what the adults only sort of kind of x non-rating was all about but uh, i found out pretty quickly and um zombie plan so here's the first rule about a good zombie plan is you don't tell everyone especially on podcasts what your zombie plan is because that kind of you know if it's a good one everyone's going to take it and then you're like oh great now everybody's here in the treehouse um, and just give us your second best one well yeah. okay so when maybe I, we misled you bill well, yeah. I, I am, I'm a big believer in Head for the Hills because zombies don't do well on hills. They have really lousy coordination. I'm talking mm. Dawn of the Dead zombies, 
1978. We're talking about the modern zombies like World War Z. Just take a gun and blow your brains out. There is no surviving that mess. Fast-moving zombies, good God, no. But if they're slow and, and sluggish, they can't do ladders. You know, knock a few uh, steps off your staircase and they're just bamboozled. They're down at the bottom. So I say head for the hills. This is why I've spent a good deal of time collecting books on edible plants and everything. I tell oh. people it's just because I think inflationary pressure is going to cause a complete society collapse of all economic systems. And we're going to have to learn to eat weeds. But that's just so they don't look at me funny. In reality, I'm just planning for the zombies. When I'm driving, when I'm driving on these long drives I like to do, and I go past those big rock cuts, you know, where you got a sheer cliff there, I think to myself, there is no way zombies are going to climb on top of that. So I kind of look at the top. I really should be looking at the road, but I look at the top and see, is there a good amount of green foliage? I mean, could you plant stuff there? Maybe a, a spring of some kind, you know? Is there a little snow cap? You know, yeah, yeah. Just sort of think about it. Yeah, I'd head for the hills. I'm going to go to your house and just go wherever you go. Jeez. That's well, well the only problem with heading for the trunk. hills is what if the zombies get up there somehow? Well, then they're if running they get up the there, I mean, if you they get up there, down. they're certainly going to be. Hey, listen, as if COVID showed us anything, it's that cities are a, a fundamentally flawed concept. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot to pull a, a card from that big depth there and the whole thing falls down. So uh, if, if you're in the city and there are zombies, I mean, you just you're, you're going to wait till you starve to death. The zombies eat you, or a fire starts, and wait for the firemen to show up. That ain't going to happen. So there's just no good ending being in the city. In the country, you know, you, you've got you've got a chance. Although you know, all those city zombies are going to come loping down the highway. <laughs> I mean, they only go five miles an hour, which means every day they travel a hundred miles. Okay, they, you know, really, no matter where you go, you're within reach of. So, you know, yeah, I, I have thought, I have spent a lot of time thinking this out. And Renee, Renee actually had the best plan, which is find some idiot like me who spent way too much time thinking about this <laughs> and, and glomp onto him like a lamprey on a great white show. Exactly. And, well, and have a long pointy stick. That is why we have you on the podcast, Bill. Yeah, shoot for the head. I, I, I get so impatient with these people in the movies who shoot zombies in the shoulder. Like three times, and then finally they go for a headshot. Oh, that worked. And then the next zombie shows up, shoot him in the damn shoulder again. Now, unless they're really bad shots, they are just not learning. Always go for a headshot. I don't care what the demon, vampire, hippopotamus, whatever. Headshot, headshot, headshot. When does a headshot not work? When? Center of body mass, Bill. Bill, That's what they're taught. Shoot for the center center of body mass. You're also taught adaptability. And when you you face something where body mass doesn't matter for crap, you go for the headshot. Well, speaking of body mass, uh, you know, I've had a lot of time to think about this during the uh, quarantine, during the pandemic, uh, at which time I've I've put on a lot of body mass. But, you know, I've actually the, the one time that I really left my house was to go shopping, which is like once a weekend. Uh, you know, I went I, I have a uh, I have a Costco membership, so I spent a lot of time in Costco. And I spent a lot of time looking around and realizing that Costco is maybe the ideal place to hold out. Now, I know there are probably a lot of holes that you could poke in that theory, but there's really only the one entrance that has like the pull down, uh, you know, the, the, the gate that they pull down. Um, there are forklifts that can move around giant pallets to kind of shore up your defenses. And there is pretty much unlimited like food and drink there. So I don't know. I'm going I, to Costco. Your target. 
And, and, there's, there's, yeah, and there's the people that are giving you, giving you samples, too, while you're Yeah, those, those, that is true. <laughs> so it's like, even even if there was someone like, no, you can't you can't take just take food off the shelf. They're like, well, I'm just going to go back to the sample platter. Um, Me and Bill yeah, are going to come and try to break in. On all this plant is, you know, in the summertime, air conditioning is not working anymore. Electricity has gone. Oh, man. It's oh, oh, 100%. Pretty stinky in there. When that giant land of the giants jar of mayonnaise that they sell at Costco starts <laughs> to go bad, Look, I, I don't want to get too sidetracked because we should get to the movie. But, you know, the first thing I thought of was, hey, they have grills in there. The first thing you do, you grill that meat and Everything. you eat as much of it as you can before the power goes out. Grilled so. meat with mayonnaise on it. You got to eat yeah. what's going to go out. Eat like and a then king. you die from a colon block. Get the hydrators. You make jerky. Well, hey, look, I'm sorry, but if you're going to eat Cinnabon and, and pretzels for months on end, yeah. you're going to have the same colon blockage. No, so. I just have, just have the runs forever. Just, <laughs> really you have the opposite problem. Anyways, uh, uh, so <laughs> just real quick before we get to the movie, I'll, I'll explain a little bit of my background of this film. So I, I think I mentioned on the last episode, uh, Night of the Living Dead, which if you haven't listened to it, go and listen, because we talk a lot about the, the overall history of George Romero. But I, I think I start. I, I watched these movies in, I was probably in my late teens. I was not allowed to watch R-rated films until I was like 14 or 15. So that was around the time that I started watching all the movies that had been forbidden previously. And as soon as I watched Night and Dawn, or I guess as soon as I watched Night, I was, you know, I was hooked and I immediately rented Dawn the next week. And I, I mean, that was it for me. I was, I was, my eyes were opened. I was introduced to a whole new world of film and a whole new world of horror. And I've been a huge fan ever since. And this is probably one of those movies that I will never get tired of watching. You know, it's probably one of about 15 or 20 movies I could literally sit down and watch all the way through at any time of the day. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of my background. And I think we're, we're going to get to the talking about the movie a little bit. Um, before we do that, we, I think we're, we're going to get just a little bit into the history of this film. Like I said, we talked a lot about George Romero's history in our previous episode, so we're not going to necessarily cover all of that. So you should go back and listen to that. It's uh, great fun. Um, but the, the the history of Don itself is obviously very connected to Knight because, as we mentioned on that episode, he you know Night of Living Dead was George Romero's first movie, and he actually didn't probably didn't make nearly as much money off of it as he cool. should have because it ended up being public domain. So unfortunately, uh, he he actually didn't get a lot of the money that came out of it being a massive hit worldwide, and so. Romero went on, he, he, had, he had continued to make features um, by the time he made uh, Dawn, Between Night and Dawn, in that 10-year that, that uh, interim. He had made a couple of features. He made There's Always Vanilla, Season of the Witch, and The Crazies, uh, and Martin. And of course, he also made probably his most important work of his entire filmography, O.J. Simpson, Juice on the Loose, the 1974 uh. TV do- do- documentary. <laughs> um but as he so he was continuing to work in film, uh, he had moved on from, you know, being working in the ad world and he was working in feature films. But as the the story kind of goes, it was, I think, it, around 1974 that a friend of his actually invited him to check out this new mall that uh, I guess his friend was like a, a, a developer and they had just built this mall in Monroeville. And. It was 1974, so that's why he, that was probably a big deal back then because, you know, malls were not necessarily, um, 
malls were not what they are today. Well, they're, they're not what they were in the nineties, which is, you know, completely ubiquitous. I guess a lot of them are gone <laughs> now, but so he was invited out to uh, look at this mall. And I guess, while he was touring the mall, the conversation turned to the fact that this would be a great place to be if there was some sort of disaster, because everything you have is right there. And like most great ideas that are spawned in a very short amount of time, uh, Romero continued to think about this. Apparently, he, you know, he he went around the mall with this this thought in his head, and I guess molded over. And well, obviously, he decided that this was going to be the continuation of his Living Dead series because then he went on to shoot Night of the Living Dead. In fact, he wrote the I think it was the it was the Monroeville Mall that he kind of had this idea at and I guess he wrote the movie with this mall in mind but without ever actually trying to secure the location until the script was done from what I read so it was kind of a, it, it was actually uh, I guess uh, good luck on his part that he when he approached the people who owned the mall they were actually receptive to him shooting there so kind of interesting that the the idea was kind of conceived in the same place that he ended up shooting it yeah, one of so, the things I was reading about that was the thing that actually really triggered it when they were there was the guy was showing him crawl spaces overhead um, yeah. in the mall. And he was like, wow, you know, people could live up in here. And that mm-hmm. was that was like the aha, here it is moment for him. Was, oh, yeah. Was seeing seeing those crawl spaces and going, wait, if you can get up here, then you can get around and get through it. So that was sort of the, the eureka moment, as it were, from what I understand. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd read that. Um so Romero went on to uh, write this script, and now obviously, like like I said, he uh, Night of the Living Dead had been a huge success. It had been a oh huge hit worldwide, yeah. And uh, and he didn't make a lot of money from it, but he uh, he did have. I think he had somehow he he still had the rights to um, the the name like uh, of the dead, and basically he needed to raise money for the sequel and. This was, you know, b- back in the day where if you didn't have the backing of a big studio and you needed studio money, then you needed to go out and find ways to uh, get get some funding. It wasn't like now where you have all of these uh, these avenues for self funding. Uh, supposedly, the I think I think the the actual budget of the film was ended up being around seven hundred thousand dollars. Although Romero would go on. I think for a long time it was you'd always find like in the trivia section of, of about this movie that the, the budget was like a million and a half. And eventually Romero said, no, it's actually a lot less than that. We just told people after the movie was made, we went to find distribution and we told people it basically cost like twice as much as we actually spent, because the more money you told them the movie cost, the more likely they were to think that it was a big budget movie and actually put it out for distribution. So, um, so, yeah, now there's another horror film uh, kind of icon involved with this movie. And I'm actually going to turn this section over to Bill Mulligan, who is our resident Dario Argento expert. And Bill, can you can you and uh, <laughs> I, I uh, Bill just found out five minutes before we started recording that I was going to ask him to do this. So um, he's either going to give us some really good background on this or make something up. And with Bill. Uh, you, yeah. you you probably won't know either way because he'll sell yeah, it. So, yeah, yeah. Bill, tell us a little um, bit about what you know about Dario Argento's Dario Argento. involvement with uh, George Romero and Don of the Dead. Well, so so here's the thing: Dario Argento. There was a time when he was the horror movie director. I mean, he he had the neat trick of actually 
not just being uh, having a rapid fan base among horror fans, but actually having some critical acclaim, which is shocking when you consider just how graphic his films were. But they were super stylistic and just brilliantly done. And so if you start with, um, well, let's, let's go down to 1970s, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, all the way up through, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop at Opera, 1987. All right, so it's a 17-year run, and a few good ones after that, including a collaboration with uh, Romero, Two Evil Eyes, in 1990. But uh, the train fell off the tracks at some point, and we ended up with Dracula 3D. It's just unbelievable what a, a fall this man has had. This is the guy who did Suspiria, literally my favorite movie of all time. So that's a tragedy. But at the time that Romero was trying to raise money for this sequel, uh, he was riding high. He was he was a director, you know, that, that people had a lot of respect for. His stuff was making lots of money. And um, so Romero was having and Rubenstein were having a really hard time raising money for the sequel to a movie that in terms of what it costs to what it made is one of the greatest films of all time, one of the biggest money-making films of all time, Night of the Living Dead. I don't even know who competes with it. Maybe Halloween, definitely Deep Throat, but not too many movies cost as little as that one did and made as much. And yet these guys were having trouble getting money for the sequel. And, and at first that sounds confusing, but it's easy to understand once you realize that Hollywood, then as now, is populated by idiots. So... Romero, a proven quantity, came in. I, I, admittedly, Romero, uh, sorry, uh, Argento came in. And uh, Romero hadn't really produced a whole lot of moneymakers since. I mean, I love some of the films like Martin. Hadn't really set the world on fire. And through his help, he was able to get the financing, especially overseas. Now, apparently, as part of that deal, they gave Argento the... Uh, he, mixing up Argento and Romero, I apologize. Argento, Argento was apparently given the rights to do his own edit. I think they, they sold, they, they got a good deal of money selling the rights to this sequel on the understanding, and maybe this was part of the thing that helped them get the money, that Argento would be the one who would make sure that it was up to snuff, I guess, if they didn't trust what Romero would do. Should I, should I talk about the three versions now? Oh, yeah. I, I think we're actually not going to go super deep because it, it's a man that all the versions there's, there's no, no, can literally I, do an entire, no, no, I'm not saying right, but there's, there's the three main ones. I think that I, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm saying now is the perfect time because this is probably, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah, I'll probably it's, want to I, knock I, it all I, out at once. Right. Right. So the version that most of us have seen is the, um, hold on a second. Let me, uh, 127 minute theatrical cut. It's uh, it's the ver it's the one that Romero considers the director's cut. There's another one called the director's cut, which is longer, but he's not the one who cut it. So yeah, I believe that that version's 139 minutes and was the version that he started with and then cut down to the 127 that he was happy with. So this is it was Romero who cut those 12 minutes out. But people who love Dawn of the Dead, you know, it's, it's just like anytime there's a film you love in here, oh, a deleted scene, like oh, I gotta see it, I gotta see it, and a lot of times it's a great scene. But if you're honest about it, you'll see why they cut it out. It's it's a great scene, but it's not a necessary scene. And if it's not necessary in a film that's already, I mean, for a horror movie, 127 minutes is pushing it. Um, it doesn't need to be there. So that is the 
those are the two main versions that people talk about. The 127-minute theatrical cut, what we saw in the theaters, and the 139-minute one that extends, has a few um, dialogue scenes, and also uh, has a different soundtrack. So one of the things that's in, if you watch the, the version that most of us have seen, it's a mix of Goblin, which is the, um, the band that Argento was really big on and is sort of kind of associated with him, and Romero's favorite, which is to find old library cuts of music, public domain stuff you can just slip in there. The 139-minute version is mostly those uh, library music and has, I don't know if it has any of Goblin's work. I understand it doesn't have any of the goblins because it wasn't the that wasn't that basically like the work print that they showed at con when so it, when it premiered right, yeah. and then they cut it to cut it down yeah right they cut it down added some of the music back in yeah. so now there's the um, foreign cut which was edited the European cut which was edited by Dario Argento one of the producers it's um, it has its advantages and disadvantages a lot a lot of Dawn fans don't like it because they know that it, Romero not the Romero cut. It is faster paced. It it gets rid of some of the characterization, some of the dialogue scenes in favor of a, it's more of an action film. In some ways, it, it kind of really um, anticipates the way zombie films have now become virtually action films. It's got a lot of goblin. And in fact, I think it's I, I think there's very little library music left. So if you like the goblin soundtrack, that's probably the version you're going to like. And that is one of the reasons I do like that version. I'm not really a huge fan of all the library music, except for the mall stuff, which is great. But um, I yeah, which like, one? Did, which I, one sorry, is I, the one with the slide whistle? Uh, <laughs> do they both sure have that? I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not Dario's cut because he I, also I think, cut out a lot of the pie in the face stuff. He cut out a lot of humor. Yeah, okay. I think that was and cut how, out. How long I, is the? How long is the third uh, one we're talking? About? Uh, Okay, hold on. Let me, uh, real, yeah, real quick. I, the the, I the, the theatrical. Uh, yeah, one hundred seven. One hundred nineteen. One hundred nineteen. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the, the 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 theatrical version does have some of Goblin's music, and I know that I I love Goblin's score. Actually, that's like the one thing yeah. that I I kind of wish that he had used more of. But but yeah, so so the the uh there are a couple of tracks that you can like when you go and listen to the soundtrack if you've seen the theatrical version you will recognize and then there are other tracks which you're like where where where, where was this so anyways sorry mm -hmm. continue i just want to say the one thing only part of the film i don't like literally the only part of this film i don't like spoiler alert we're going to spoil a lot um at the very end when when our hero is contemplating whether to shoot himself or uh, you know shoot zombies he decides to shoot the zombies and that heroic music that they put in there da, 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 makes me laugh I, every single time makes me laugh which is not what i'm trying to do at that point i, I think that was a miscue <laughs> um it's just a little too on the nose uh you know come on but so i prefer the i prefer the soundtrack of the um dario argento version but i think overall if i had to just pick one to stay on that desert island that somehow has a vcr and electricity I would take the uh, theatrical version. That's the one I saw the first time. That's the film I fell in love with, and I don't need uh, I don't need George Lucas or anyone else coming in and messing around to improve it. It was it was pretty damn good the way it was. But those are the three versions. Oh oh, and if you're a complete psychopath, another psychopath, a fellow psychopath, if you will, decided to take all three of these versions and somehow blend them together 
into yet another one that I guess is the longest one yet. It's, uh, I don't know how long it is. It's just, it's crazy. But uh, there you are. These are the same people who did stuff like take Pulp Fiction and re-edit it so now it's in sequential order and uh, take the Phantom Menace and cut all the Jar Jar scenes out. Those folks should get a special Academy Award. But yeah, there's, um, yeah, so there's four cuts and, you know, just knock yourself out. Uh, you could, you and you would go broke. You would go broke. I don't care how rich you are. You would go broke if you tried to buy every DVD release of Dawn of the Dead that's come out because they just keep doing it. Is, is that a challenge, Bill? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mac, isn't that something you're doing <laughs> right now? <laughs> we've, yeah, we've we've discussed the fact. So this is uh, sorry. This is t- totally tangential. Folks, we'll get to the movie in just a moment. <laughs> but I, this is the film. I own this more on more formats than anything else. I have the VHS. I have it on Betamax. I have it on Laserdisc, Betamax. and I've recently started. By, yeah, well, no, it's cool. Did you get the laser uh, I've recently disc? started. What? Did you get the Laserdisc? Yeah, I have the Laserdisc. Yeah, that's that's one of the ones that I, I bought way back in the day uh, mm-hmm. when it probably wasn't like hundreds of dollars. But uh, but now I've started trying to collect all the Blu-rays, and um, as as a gift to myself recently for a, a big event in my life, I uh, I may have spent like two hundred and fifty dollars on import Japanese DVDs or Blu-rays <laughs> of of Dawn of the Dead. So. Anyways, yeah, I will go broke. I will go broke, but I will collect every yeah. single issue what year uh, of were you this born? film ever. Because I'm pretty sure <laughs> the answer is a year that came after the absolute death of Laserdisc. So don't tell me this. <laughs> oh, I bought it back then as if it was a reasonable thing. We were all buying Laserdiscs back then. We didn't know it was going to die. I mean, back back then on eBay, back then oh, okay. when, when okay. collectible <laughs> prices didn't go through the yeah. roof like they have in the last few years. Wow. Um, <laughs> Okay, sorry. Continue. Is there anything oh, no, else we want to talk about? Enough, it's almost <laughs> okay. been an hour. We haven't started talking about the movie. We're, we're just amazing. Perfect. Well, <laughs> welcome to the first of two or three parts of our Dawn of the Dead coverage. <laughs> this is a Video Store Junkies podcast. Uh, Bill's laughing, but he knows it's true. Um, so yeah, I think that the uh, I think that pretty much covers. I mean, there is like Bill kind of hinted at there. There are so many people that love this movie, and there are so many people that have kind of dug up so much history. And honestly, there there are so many stories and so much background on this movie that to try to cover it all here would take literally three or four episodes just on history. So I think we're going to leave it there. The movie, uh, you know, I mentioned they shot at the Monroeville Mall. They started shooting in uh, December of 77, uh, I believe. And they actually had to uh, they had to take a break over Christmas because they basically were told, yeah, you can shoot. um, If you take the Christmas decorations down every single night because they were shooting at night when the uh, the the mall was closed. If you take the decorations down every night, you have to put each and every one of them back in the before the morning before you know before we open. So uh, apparently that was untenable. So Romero went. I think he he edited what he had. He used his time to kind of put together a uh, a work print of the existing footage, and then they, they came back and finished it up and released it in uh, 1978. So that's the history of Dawn of the Dead. But what about the movie? What do we think about the movie? Well, we're going to get into our discussion of the film finally. So I think we're going to we're going to break this up into a couple of sections. And if you listen to our Night of the Living Dead episode, it's going to be kind of similar to that. But I think we're going to I think we're going to talk about the living and then we're going to talk about the dead. And then we're going to talk about, well, we called it the House of Romero in the previous episode. But now, you know what? We've moved into a larger venue. So I think we're going to call it the Mall of Romero. And that's where we're going to talk about some of the the settings, the mall itself. the And we can also get into, like, themes, um, 
and also background on some of the people behind the camera if we don't mention them beforehand. So let's start by talking about the living and let's start by talking about, well, let's kind of go in sequential order because we are introduced to kind of our four main characters at the top of the film. But the very first character we are introduced to is going is uh, played by uh, Galen Ross, uh, Fran or Francine. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's introduced in what I think is one of the best film intros, not necessarily for her character, but for the film itself uh, of all time, because we are kind of thrust into this world of Dawn of the Dead, which if you know, it's it, the movie. Uh, is is basically you know it's filmed ten years after the last movie, but he kind of ignores the fact that it's ten years later, and he basically makes it feel like it's a couple maybe weeks later after Night of the Living Dead, and Fran is working at the studio, which is just uh, an absolute chaos because things are falling apart, and <laughs> they're they're trying to I guess report the news, and it's kind of a, a very interesting little uh, little segment where you kind of get the you know the people who are trying to. Uh, continue to do, do their job and the people who are, you know, basically humans and are like, you know, forget this, I'm out of here. So uh, let's talk about, let's talk about Galen Ross. Uh, what do y'all think about Galen Ross, uh, the actress? And what do we think about Fran, the uh, the character? Well, I guess she wasn't in a lot, right? Other other than this. Well, yeah. Like, so, so let me, I, let me actually read, let me read Galen oh, Ross's God. entire filmography. She oh, appeared in Donald the Dead, Mad Mad, and Creepshow. The end. Wow. What was she in? Now she's, oh, she she was the wife that got buried in the sand. Yeah, no. yeah, she was the one yeah, okay. was with Ted Danson. Yeah, and and now him. now she she actually she actually didn't leave the film business. She actually has been working in uh, I think writing and directing documentary films since the uh, since like the nineties, and she's still doing it. So I guess very successful at that. So good for her. But, I just uh, watched Mad Men. It's dreadful. It's fantastic. I think it's the Bill. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and that's another that's another episode. Yeah, tune into our Madman uh coverage next week. But uh yeah, the connection there is Galen Ross. So what do we think about Galen Ross in Dawn of the Dead? Oh, I mean I re- I really like her. I mean I I I like I mean she does have I think she's probably the the most likable kind of stable character. I mean she mm. she, she she shows the strain, but she also seems to have a conscious about it got conscious conscience about everything i mean the the thing going on on the tv station is you have things where they're trying to save people you know help people and but the the bit the station manager is wanting to put up he wants to keep the the list of stations up on the screen uh the rescue stations but half of them were closed and they're like, we can't do this. And so there's this whole debate there. And, and I mean, which, you know, which is so ludicrous. He's like, you know, uh, people will turn it off. Our ratings will go down. It's like, it's the, it's the <laughs> end of everything, dude. Nobody's buying ads on your, uh, but Bill, now. Bill, <laughs> if, if the past year hasn't taught us anything, <laughs> it has taught us that there are going to be people who are going to do that. And I think that, and then in fact, I think that was actually kind of the point of it is yeah. saying, cause they, at one point they say we're doing ourselves in it's the, it's the fact that it's not so much the zombies. It's the fact that we're man is the biggest monster but i mean really it is that's where that's sort of yeah. where it comes in that's that same thing mm-hmm. um and i think she's got the, she's got kind of that moral center throughout the whole thing and and she has to make you know she'll make changes but to to what she does but reluctantly and only when it's like okay okay we really do have to change what we're doing now okay we now we really have to do this or that so at least that's what it seemed like to me 
Yeah, I, I will mention the the uh, the, the guy, <laughs> the station manager. Uh, I believe his name is Givens, played by uh, Daniel Dietrich, who was only in three movies. But I want to call out that he was also in another movie I recently discovered, uh, Malatesta's Carnival of Blood, which is also amazing. So check that out. Um, but he's one of actually many, many bit players in this movie. He only have like a couple of lines, but it's kind of funny because I think George Romero was great about casting like the right people, even for small roles. I, I think we saw that a lot in Night of the Living Dead. And I think it kind of continues in this movie. So there, there are a couple of other <laughs> actors I'll call out when we get to him. But you know, you, I, you I actually, good, yeah, I love him. You make a good point. Romero has good cast of people who did very little else. And, and it's surprising when you, you're like, well, this guy's really good in this movie. I wonder what else he did. And it's like, he did nothing. And, <laughs> and you, you, that's kind of surprising. But and So you wonder where did Romero find them? And why did they not go on and do anything else? If they did do anything else, they probably did it with him. So it wasn't that they had a bad yeah. experience with making a Romero movie, because that's pretty much the only kind of movies that these folks made. Maybe they were theater people. I don't know. But uh, yeah. yeah, well. Yeah, I think a couple, a couple of the other actors, well, even the main actors only appeared in a couple of movies and they were theater people. So I think that he was really good about finding people who were great actors, but not necessarily established in film and also actors that were like local because, I mean, his his ecosystem was really Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania and that kind Just of say, general area. The first actors you see in the movie is George Romero. Yes. Yeah, yeah he's in, in the station. And I believe his wife. Uh, next to him too. They, they're in the station. He's the one who's putting in the uh, the stations. That, that by the way, yeah. by the way, her her thing there in trying to you know not send people to what are probably death traps overrun with zombies is a classic <laughs> save the cat moment. Save the cat is the the thing that if you want to have um, if you have a protagonist in a movie early on, you need to have them do something that makes you like them, even if they're not a likable character. There's something that the audience says, aha, they have a soul. I'm willing to watch this character and not hope that they die. So that was hers. And um, each one of them gets something like that, I guess. Um, you know, Ken Forey. Yeah. That's... Yeah, you know. But uh, Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get him. I love his, yeah, his yeah. save the cat moment. Yeah. <laughs> uh... So... So, yeah, so I'm going to assume oh, sorry, go talking ahead. about this character. So I'm the only one that found her annoying. Is that oh. true? Um. Well. Oh, go ahead, Renee. Yeah, yeah, yeah get away. <laughs> it's not that she was annoying. Um, I would say that um, she did a good job of of playing somebody who, you know, I guess you could tell she was already kind of just over it. Um, but she just kind like Alan said earlier. These like these people, everyone seems so miserable. It's kind of like they started off miserable, <laughs> and then it just kind of yeah. got worse. But yeah, I thought she did a a, a good job playing somebody who well, was. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah if maybe, that's what she maybe was going we, for. I mean, my hat's off to her. <laughs> maybe we should. Maybe we should actually frame the discussion about Fran because I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's actually hard to talk about her as an individual because this is an ensemble film. Mm. So maybe, maybe, maybe we should actually frame that conversation in in the sense of her and also uh, another character who shows up uh, basically in the, in this opening scene which is uh, Steven, played by David M.G. And th I, the reason I say that is because I, I actually, I don't think she is, a, I don't think she's miserable. I like her character and I like her performance. <laughs> There's actually, I, I, 
as a kid or as a teenager watching this, I had trouble kind of understanding this relationship. And as an adult, I still kind of have trouble understanding this. Well, I was just going to say, if you were dating him, you would probably be annoyed (laughs) too, much less pregnant with his child. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, 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 so the, the David MG is another one of those actors. He only appeared in five movies. Uh, He was a stage actor. I think he's actually still around. I think he's still acting. Um, so he was he was another one that kind of, uh, you know, he he did this and not a whole lot else in the world of film. Um, but I, I think that that's maybe maybe a good way to discuss these two characters just because they are all like I, there are very few scenes. I mean, you know, at one point, Stephen kind of goes off and does some stuff, but they're they're usually together. And the film is really centered around, you know, the relationships of these characters as they are stuck in this mall. And these two characters obviously have. Uh, this this I don't know it feels like a little bit of a contentious relationship I, or I can't tell if it's just like that's the way it's acted or that's the way it's written I don't know what do you guys think what, what I'm thinking is so this isn't their relationship isn't a relationship that springs up you know in the moment or after this has happened this is an existing relationship they were together and then then the zombie apocalypse hit that's the way I'm seeing it mm-hmm. um, and so because it wasn't like oh they hooked up so that's going to change how people are. I mean, people are going to react. I mean, again, we've seen this, right, this past year, how different people react differently to these stresses. And, you know, where whereas I do think Fran kind of, she she slowly rises to the occasion. She's very, she's quiet. She's not, you know, she doesn't, um, I think there is a, a character arc there. She does give things to do, but it is fairly, it's subdued almost, I don't know. Um, it's more in her actions and the way she reacts than things she might say. Uh, and for him, he seems to react with uh, that. Some people, you know, basically becoming an adolescent boy. It, mm. it seems like it really does to me. He seems, Ooh, ooh I'm going to, you know, let's, let's shoot these, these guns. Let's <laughs> just shoot these zombies. Let's, you know, he becomes, he becomes this adolescent boy really and, and becomes a man child. And I have a feeling their relationship wasn't like this beforehand. And those aspects might have been there and might have been, you know, oh, I, I was drawn to his his kind of youthful charm till it becomes annoying as shit and becomes amplified by the situation. And so I, th- I think that might be where that kind of comes from. Mm-hmm. I think we're being harsh on them here. Relationships can be a lot of work under any circumstance. And these folks are, huh, I you know, surrounded by impending doom. Trapped in a mall, which sounds cool, and and all their, you know, all their basic needs are met, but it's it's just a really attractive jail. It's just a really roomy prison. There's no there's no room for growth or development or anything. It's just pure existence. And you know, boy, it's just this is it's hard to imagine many relationships thriving in that sort of thing. They also have the pressure of the pregnancy. That's what I'm saying. I think you're looming over their head. I mean, these people, I I just feel like these folks have a sword that is dangling over their head on the slenderest of threads, and they don't know when it's going to break and what's going to kill them, but they're almost certain that something is. And at some point she's going to give birth and and her choice of midwives is limited. Are they, is it, how is that going to work? What, you know, what can you do? It's, it's, you know, I, and also, you know, the two of them are very much, they know they're the junior members of this squad. 
I mean, the other guys are trained killers in a situation where that's a useful skill set. And they're just regular people that, you know, they get a gun or a screwdriver or whatever it is they use. But, you know, odds are they're the ones who are going to have to be rescued. They just have to follow the leads of this guy. It's just a, it's a bad situation. And yet they're in a way better position than presumably the vast majority of humanity out there. So, right, but in, ter- in terms of their relationship, because I think Renee, were you saying you, you, you couldn't really see her, the, the two of them together? Is that what you were kind of getting at? No, not necessarily. Like, I could see them together, like, definitely pre apocalypse, because yeah. that was like a whole different situation for him. Um, yeah. But after a while, I just, I, not to be rude, I just feel like he was kind of like useless in a sense. Like, 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 get it together, dude. Like, I don't know. I would have been annoyed by him quite quickly. <laughs> the, the thing, the thing about Steven uh, in this movie, he's always struck me as the protagonist who he thinks he's the hero of the oh, story. Yes. <laughs> but man, he is really not. No, right. <laughs> Especially like the scene where like, like, you know, he's, he, he repeatedly does things where he's trying to do something heroic, but he ends up kind of fucking up. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, the scene where he's he's trying to shoot the zombie, oh and then Peter gets pissed off because he's like, you know, don't ever, sh- you know, don't ever point a gun at someone. Right. And he's and he and he, he has kind of a similar thing happen when he goes when he's in the, uh, uh, like the oh man, what what do you call it? Like the uh, uh, up up. Oh man, I'm I'm totally blanking. Oh. Like the back room in the in the in the uh, oh, like a in the mall office or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or not this. Yeah, the security office, but the uh, uh, uh like the the, the uh, physical plant, the warehouse. Yeah, not or not the warehouse, the but yeah, yeah, like where, the, where the, where the <laughs> mm-hmm. pick a like word. The, the physical <laughs> plant where they the have like the, the air conditioner and stuff is. That's what you're talking about, right? The what? The what? It's called the physical plant where they have the the air conditioner and the heating, all the duct work. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I didn't know that's a well. Thank you. I didn't know that's what it's called. So that's why I, I was struggling. Yeah. 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 The physical. I, I'm just gonna. Edit it. So the guys, the, episode, the the part of the movie where he's in the physical plan and he's trying to like shoot at the zombie, but the the bullets are are zinging all over the place. It's what just a like, dummy. <laughs> Sorry, he, keeps, he he keeps having these moments where he's like, "Yeah, I'm the hero. I'm now's my time to shine." And he keeps he keeps kind of uh, looking like an ass. And and I, it's always hard for me to tell. Like I've never been able to quite determine. Like, okay, is Fran like is she tired of him because of something that happened previously in their relationship, or is is she looking at this? Is she seeing this stuff happen and she's like, "Oh my god." I, I am pregnant with this man's child and he is a complete dumbass. And I'm just now realizing this. it is kind of interesting, though, when you think about it, because like he was, you know, the weather, not weather, the traffic helicopter traffic guy. So, you know, he was probably really popular and everybody kind of idolized him. And then you get into this situation, and find out that aside from the helicopter, he's kind of borderline useless. Whereas these in other fairness, guys, he <laughs> could just learn to shoot a gun a little bit better and get a point of stake. Get a point. I like the pointy, pointy stick. stick. That's gonna. I'm gonna use that. I mean, really, because he would have done much better in that in the physical plant with a pointy stick than the gun that's gonna ricochet Absolutely. off everything and probably shoot himself. I mean, but but, but let's, again, let's, I, I think let's it's fair. But... This guy. I mean, other than the helicopter, he's useless. That's like saying, other than penicillin, what did Doctor Fleming ever do? I mean, that <laughs> helicopter really comes in handy. Right, right. But in terms of his his personality, I do think it's it's the the, yeah. the kind of reverting to the reverting to the adolescent. And I think what you had said, Zach. He thinks he's the hero. He's the which, yeah. mm-hmm. which is really similar to 
uh, Jack Burton in Big Trouble in Little China, except yeah. people half the people who watch the movie don't realize he's not the hero either. But that's a whole different movie. Um, so yeah, well, if you're gonna do that, you should be you should you know try to be Kurt Russell. Well, that's, 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 there's no, a cool. reason <laughs> the character is a what right? Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say there's a reason she wanted to learn how to fly that helicopter. Yeah, she knew. yeah, she was gonna leave this up. She's probably surprised he didn't shoot himself, so that was the, yeah. That, yeah, that was the thing. So, yeah, yeah he's, also, he's that kind of fuck up, but also, in <laughs> fairness, uh, you know, he is 99% of all the people out there, and probably everyone in this podcast, with the possible exception of Renee, who I think you know could probably <laughs> surprise a lot of people if push came to shove, like yes. she would gleefully <laughs> push or shove someone off the roof. Into the yes. board, if that would give her time. I have like five eat. pounds of rice in the other room. Give us some right, examples right. of his, <laughs> other than not being able to shoot. Like what are other examples of his uselessness? It's so that, that's the only one that he's, comes to mind. It, it's it's his. Um, I think the way he acts, his the way he carries himself, his demeanor. A lack of contribution. He never had big good ideas. It was always the other guys getting the work done. He was just along for the ride. That's the impression I got. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. Like, yeah, I mean, other, other than the fact that he almost kills Peter and almost kills himself, yeah, I can't think of anything. But, but then, I mean, there's also like, there's even the scene where, like, uh, you know, he's in the when when they, I think they're they're meeting Roger and uh, uh, Peter, and Ugh. they there there are the guys who, and we'll, we'll talk about these guys in a little bit, but they, you know, they're supposedly cops, I guess, and they, I think they are supposed to be cops, but. And he's just kind of like, yeah, they just kind of like hold him at gunpoint and he looks, at, you know, in front of Fran. And that's kind of a, you know, it's not his fault, but it is kind of an emasculating scene where like these guys, like, he's like, oh, yeah, don't go. Don't worry. I'll go in there and like, you know, get get whatever we need. Will you fill up the, the, the helicopter? And then he basically comes out at gunpoint. And then <laughs> Roger and uh, Peter show up and basically rescue them. So... <laughs> The whole scene again. It's not his fault, but it's it's just it feels like yeah he's he's try, he thinks he's the hero in the scene, and then he's he's really not. Mm-hmm. And and actually, let's not forget like the biggest fuck up that he does. Yeah, when yeah. He's, when he's a zombie. Now, granted, oh, he's probably going yeah. back to be. Oh, that's another one. Oh, yeah, 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 that's kind of a big one. You know, I, I know he's, it's like, oh, he's going back so they can kill him to put him out of his misery. He leads the fucking zombies into their <laughs> safe spot. Talk about being a fuck. Yeah, I, I thought I they know. had enough doors locked where they, they couldn't get there. Did they just not lock them on the way up? No, because he was slacking <laughs> off and he didn't listen and he wanted to screw with the motorcycle guys. Yeah. Oh, freaking Steven. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, Renee, did, did you have something else? Because it sounded like you thought Paul was going to talk about something. Yeah, I think he was going to talk about how he was screwing around with the motorcycle guys and he wouldn't listen to, was it Roger? Oh. And he's like, come on, hurry the hell up. And he's like, no, I want to screw around with these guys. Oh, he's like sitting there trying to shoot him. Yeah. yeah. Like, dude, what yeah, are you yeah. doing? Just chill, just bro- like bail. Yeah. Let zombies take care of them. Yeah, no joke. Or like, get them, let them, there's plenty of shit around. Let them get what they want and roll. Like, you'll be fine. <laughs> they were not the smartest motorcycle gang. And not that, not that I'm thinking motorcycle gangs are the kind of people that I want preparing my tax returns or anything. But it feels like if they survive this long, they should have been smarter than to just basically custer themselves into oblivion. You know, it, yeah. it goes downhill pretty fast. Well, the thing that got me about the motorcycle gang is well, if they busted in there and took everything they could possibly hold, it's still yeah. not that much because they're just all okay. on motorcycles. <laughs> so it, they just, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, do have, they do have the van. A bunch of stuff. They do have the van, but I guess that that can only hold so much. Yeah. Did they have a van? Um, yeah. So, yeah, they did. Because that's where didn't they? Isn't that where they uh, they had like the radio? Maybe. See, I think if so. They been right. If they've been dressed up like night riders, they could have just walked right there. Just yeah, who cares? And why nobody in a zombie movie dresses up like night riders is beyond me. Because if there is a zombie, I'll I'll share part of my zombie plan. Armor, armor, armor. If I can't oh, find yeah, any armor, enough. duct tape, duct tape, duct. There is not a single patch of biteable skin oh, my God. on my body that oh. you are going to see. And, is it going to be uncomfortable? Oh yes, but not nearly as uncomfortable as being bitten by a zombie. So yeah. The, anyway. the other thing I will say about the motorcycle gang, again, and this helped for me never seeing the movie and you know not knowing what was going to happen, but I thought, okay, if I was in that same situation, I would have picked as many off from the roof as I could have before they ever got to the mall. And I just it don't was, think- It was nighttime. They did it, it was the middle of the night, so that probably- yeah, would Surely they had some uh, in that, well, that they had store. Surely Steven. they had some kind of a night scope <laughs> or something. <laughs> anyway, I thought that they should have- um, I, I really thought they should have picked a few more off from the top. I think, well, so I, I think they fired. So, so, so I will say we, we've been, we've been uh, very unkind to Steven. And I think that the <laughs> problem with Fran is that most of her, most of her like scenes are really like reacting to him or interacting with him. And he, I don't know. I think it, <laughs> I think it's actually kind of, un, the movie's kind of unfair to her because I will say uh, what I was getting at is I actually think that Galen Ross and uh, David MG are, are pretty good actors. I think that they, I think they, you know, maybe the the characters are unlikable, but they are actually very believable to me. So, like, even you know, Stephen, I, I, a hundred percent, like, like Bill said, I mean, that'd probably be most of us, but I can definitely, I can definitely, like, I've met people that I'm like, oh yeah, that's definitely that that person who would go in thinking that they're the hero and and just be a fuck up, and he sells it, he sells it, and he's good. I think he's like in the role, like when he's not being a complete fuck up. But he's actually a really good actor, so and I, I think a likable uh, enough character that when he dies, I felt bad. I, it's and it's a, he has yeah. one of the iconic shots in the movie when the elevator doors open, they come rushing in, and then they realize he's one of them now, and he just sort of gives them that look and yes. they turn around. I mean, that's a mm, that's a top ten moment in horror right there. Yeah, it's, no, it's I'm yeah, he, Oh, I, I think you oh. nail it. You don't you don't really hate him. I mean, he's a fuck up, and you're just more like annoyed with him. You're more like roll your eyes at the character like mm -hmm. get it together man so you don't hate him you don't wish for him to be dead it's just more like right you want to keep him around yeah. just in case you need to push him in front of a zombie but, <laughs> yeah. you know. oh man now i know well, everybody kind of keeps exactly us around. Wrong, right? I mean, <laughs> is they... there going to be a sims character of him Renee? Oh, you oh. do know my zombie plan okay <laughs> <laughs> oh, that made me think you need like one of those chainmail shark suits yeah. Oh, yeah. So in the zombie oh, apocalypse, Bill is surrounded by idiots yet covered in armor, and he's yeah. just pushing them one after the other in front oh, of the zombies. I like the way you think. <laughs> Man. I mean, it doesn't even have to be that that complicated. I, I will say uh, that one of my favorite parts of uh, uh, the World War Z movie is when. Brad Pitt, he's he's you know very resourceful, and I think he's just like covering his arms with like magazines and duct tape, yes, and it's yes. like yeah, that would work. I stood up and applauded. <laughs> it was like sit down, jackass. I mean, yeah, finally an intelligent person. Yeah, yeah, that, that is what he said. <laughs> that finally an intelligent person in a zombie movie, and and you know like when he thinks he might, he wasn't sure if he was bitten, so he runs to the ledge of, of the building 
ready yes. to just like fall off and starts Jump, counting yeah. down. And it's like, okay, dude, I will, I will follow this character for the rest of this movie, even though it's not a patch on the ass of the book. So yeah, yeah. yeah. rescue that. Well, speaking of characters we might want to follow and we can talk more about Steven and Fran as I'm sure we will, as we get into some other stuff, but uh, some characters that I would probably want to be holed up with in the zombie apocalypse, much more so than Steven, uh, Peter and Roger. Yeah. A couple of SWAT guys. I liked those guys. They, they're armed. <laughs> they, uh, they know how to use their weapons. Um, so Roger's, yeah, let's, let's Roger's talk about a bit of a hothead, but uh, well, yeah. Is is he? Yeah. Yeah. Roger. Annoyed okay, me well, too. Oh, well let's, let's get into that because I have, I have a different than, opinion. Uh, the other one. <laughs> well, Real, real quick. Let's talk about Peter. Peter is played by Ken Forey, who uh, is basically the complete opposite of the other main actors in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Roger is played by Scott uh, Scott Reiniger. Reiniger. I I actually don't know how to pronounce it. Um, I don't know if you guys do. Uh, he 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 actually. He, this was his second movie, and he only had eight credits, uh, eight, eight uh, acting credits. Ken Forey, uh, working actor. He has, uh, as of right now, on the imdb.com website, is 110 credits. That's so he is the absolute opposite. Respectable, yeah. So he he went he would actually go on to appear in movies uh, like Night Riders, From Beyond, The Devil's Rejects. Uh, he he. I mean, he's basically become at this point a horror icon, and I think he you know was uh, you know in, in the 80s and uh, and afterwards he he was being cast in a lot of movies. Because he was a a horror icon, but also because I think he's a great actor. This was only his second movie, huh. so he was he was pretty fresh too. He was even in the remake Dawn of the Dead. Hmm. Yeah, well, a couple of these, a couple actors were uh, Scott Scott Reiniger was in there as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, he was the uh, he, I think he was like a cop on TV if I remember correctly. So yeah, let's, well, I mean, let's talk about these two. Scott Reiniger would also go on to be I think he, I believe he was also in Night Riders very briefly. Oh, how funny. Yeah, so so these two we are introduced to <laughs> to these guys, and once again, uh, like with uh, with with Fran and Steven, uh, we're introduced to them in kind of a very chaotic scene. But this one is very different. Cops are, I guess, it's always a little bit unclear to me what exactly they're doing because there are gang members, but there are also zombies, and I don't know. They're there to, yeah. uh, I guess, Get the bo- stop my, the gang members. Well, my, no, my impression was that the problem was that the gang members, the, the people in the tenements and everything, were not giving up their dead which was you yeah. know, part uh-huh. of the martial law. And, yeah. and so these guys were there to get the bodies out of there. I mean, this is just sort of putting band-aids on a bleeding wound. But um, And so, you know, it ends up being a shootout between all of them and, and everything. But the initial thing was not to go after the gangs, it was just to get the dead out of the basement. And uh, right. yeah, kind of went from there. But then we got, what's his name? What was Wooly? Wooly's gone ape shit, man. Wooly has gone ape shit. Wooly is Can you... one of the rednecks from the end of Night of the Living Dead that this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to him. He has dreamed of this moment where he can kill as many zombies or people, six of one well, does of the other, and get yeah. away with it. Okay, well, if you don't want to hear, if you don't want to hear politics on your podcast, turn this thing off for about fifteen seconds. But yeah, I mean, a cop running into a tenement building and basically indiscriminately gunning down a bunch of minorities. I mean, 
Good lord. <laughs> Topical much? Um, sorry. Okay. Turn it back on. Yeah. What politics over? They jumped um, like 30 no, years so into the future and saw what was happening. They jumped back just to get some ideas <laughs> about what they Yeah. Did. No, no. Well, this is, we'll, we'll, we'll get into a lot of George Romero's uh, kind of message and his politics, I think. And uh, I think this is, this character is very indicative. As I believe Paul has said many times, George Romero was never, uh, he was never subtle about his politics. And, and I think this character is a good example. Although I will give it to this guy. I mean, he was pretty indiscriminate. He just wanted to shoot somebody bad. I mean, he didn't care who it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was definitely a racist and a, and a sociopath and everything. And the thing is, well, yeah. basically, I feel like any of the cops would have shot this guy. You know, this this guy would get you killed. You right, but I, I, oh, the oh, whole exactly. thing about him being over the top, by the way. I mean, now this could be Romero after the fact, right? Going, oh yeah, yeah, it was intent. He he says this film is intentionally just like very over the top. He, I mean, he was like in terms of he he embraced the lack of subtlety in it. I think he wanted to make it more cartoony. I mean, that's why you have like in terms of it extent extends to the the blood and the extent of the violence, but also the the he wanted to make the social commentary super like like wink at you like hey you know this is in other words it was intentionally it wasn't not it wasn't not subtle because of lack of skill it was intentionally not subtle or at least that's his story uh, i i know i and i don't dispute that i will say uh this is not george romero winking at me this is george romero walking up and like grabbing my crotch but um <laughs> no that's, that's true <laughs> now, at first, I thought that, like, I don't know if you guys remember, it was, I think it was, the group was called Move, and it was in the 70s, yeah. and it yeah. was, oh, yeah, yeah. was that, and that was Philadelphia. Um, oh, interesting. And that was, but I was, I was just looking up, it wasn't until August of 1978 that there was a, oh. um, that basically, I don't know if they bombed it, it was like, I can't remember. Yeah, they bombed it. Yeah, and so, but this came out in 79, but it was like, what came out in 78 originally in, um, wasn't it originally released in 78? Hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, it says it released in Italy seven, uh, September 1st, 1978, and Italy was its premiere. Um, and so 1979 in the U.S. So at that point, I, I was thinking at first that this would have been intentionally like a, a commentary on on that, but I th I think this was filmed well before that ever happened. So no, yeah, that's it. Well, I think yeah, I mean that's that's really interesting because yeah, I, I hadn't actually thought of that, but if I if I had made that connection, I well, I would have made that connection if I'd been thinking about uh, about the various events that had happened around the time. So, but but again, it wasn't yeah. though. So never mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> was the, first, kind of... the first walkout that the movie had was when he uh, when he blows that guy's head just to smithereens. It was like a holy shit moment in in the sense that people in the audience went holy shit, and some of them, one of at least one or two, got up and walked out or staggered. Wow. This was not for them. And then almost immediately followed by the incredible shot that just blew my mind and made me love this, where the you know the woman tries to stop her husband yes. from getting shot because yes. she's a fool. And um, <laughs> just safety tip: if grandma's been dead for a while and you see her again, do not go up and give her a hug. There's no good scenario here. So when he reaches down and bites the chunk out of her, now I've been doing special effects and stuff. I you know, I was dabbling in makeup, you know, famous monsters, latex and cotton and all that crap. When I saw that, I was like, I have no bleeping idea how they did what I just saw. That, you know, yeah. you would normally, you would cut to a close-up or you would put the fake 
foam rubber thing in there. And yeah, but this was all in one shot and then it bled. And I'm just like, the gears in my head are, and of course this was in a movie theater, so I couldn't go back and rewatch it. It was just one time. It's like, did I see what I thought I saw? I mean, it just rocked my world. But that was also when a couple of people got up and left because their world was also rocked and not in the positive, constructive way that mine was. That, that was pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it yeah, it's funny because exploding heads, you can kind of accept because you have a general idea. Of yeah, how you build work. a head and you shoot it with a shotgun. Right. But this, yeah, this was amazing. But yeah. uh, the thing with that head, my understanding is um, jumping all the way to the end of the film, you know, originally Ken Foray is supposed to blow his, blow his brains out. And my understanding is that's what they built that head for. And when they decided to change the, oh. um, when they decided to change the ending, that they, they, they decide, well, here we'll switch it, we'll switch into here, which actually it works fantastic pacing wise in there. That's interesting because I heard that it was Fran's head because well, they changed the ending for her. Yeah, because she's supposed to stick her head into the, uh, um, yeah. Into the blades. It was one oh. of their heads. Oh uh, yeah, movies. somebody's head. I've seen. I've seen well, uh, originally, what was everybody supposed to die? Everyone dies. Everybody yeah. dies. Friends, uh, he blows his brains out, and she sticks her head. Ooh, this is awful. Into the propeller. Yeah. And, uh, and then over on the purpose. credits, the yeah, on, on purpose. purpose. Yeah. Over okay. the credits, okay. the say, propeller please. slowly dies down, indicating they didn't really have enough gas to get anywhere anyway. And it's like, go home, guys. And they very wisely decided, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Night of the Living Dead was enough of a bummer. Let's not let's not repeat ourselves here. I mean, a little glimmer of hope. Nice. I I don't know that they really came to any good end, but let, let's and they the same thing for then in Day of the Dead actually is is the closest thing to a happy ending we're ever going to get. So, yeah, you know, well, so so get, getting back a little bit to to Roger and Peter, I think it's interesting that the the way that these characters are introduced because it's funny because someone mentioned Roger being a bit of a hothead and I guess there are instances where he is but I think he's also at least to me he's actually the most likable character in this movie and I think that we're kind of given some of his humanity early on because there's the scene <laughs> there's there's the actual uh the, the scene that's actually pretty funny where I think the the first time we're introduced to uh to Roger He's, uh, you know, they're up on the rooftop or whatever, and there's the other, there's the other guy, and he's like, you know, trying to, he's like, you know, what's your name? You're, uh, he's like Rod, and he's like, okay, this is your first time, you know, just keep your head down, be safe, you know, you'll be fine. And then about two seconds later, that character is shot in the head right next to him, yeah, which is a great, but I, but I love the fact that he's like, he's trying to, he, he, you know, can kind sure. of tell that this guy's young. He's trying to console him, and then he also has that line where like one of the gang members runs out and he actually yells at him. He's like, don't go out there. Yeah. And he it's like the gang member gets like absolutely gunned down. So it's kind of interesting that his, like his introduction is he's, he's kind of portrayed as, yeah, he's, he's a cop. He's just, you know, a member of the SWAT team, but he does have a certain uh, level of humanity. When I say he's a hothead, I mean, I think, I think you're right. He is the most likable character. I guess it's just, I'm still pissed that his death seems to me unnecessary. He shouldn't mm. have oh, yeah. died. It's because. Yeah. Um, yeah carelessness you know or, right. or or belief in his own more you know ability to outthink these things that he took chances he shouldn't have but isn't that the point right the point yeah is... oh no I, I, yeah yeah we're, we're talking now, about I, roger no we're talking about roger Peter. yeah and he was the only no, no, one that roger. seemed no, to roger. care about roger. fran's pregnancy <laughs> like more so than wait, wait, steven <laughs> No, who are we? Roger. Talking Wait, are we talking about Roger? Roger's the, Roger's the yeah. white guy who ends up becoming yeah. a zombie. I'm yeah, so sorry. I, 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 I thought Peter. Roger was going to die sooner <laughs> than he did. I mean, it's like 
everything he does is like you oh, know it's kind of like daredevil <laughs> you know and, but they have very generic names. One one really quick one really quick side note because we are talking about actors and characters, and I actually just mentioned one that I kind of want to mention on the side. Uh, the, the the gang member who uh, goes out there, uh, who who does go out there, even when Roger tells him not to, that is, I I believe the character's name is Martinez. That that guy is played by uh, a man, uh, an actor named John Amplis. Now, Bill, you were asking, you were talking about the the casting in this movie and how great it is and how he found all these people who who were really great bit parts. That was actually, John Amplis was actually the casting director for Dawn of the Dead. And he had worked with John, uh, George Romero before, because he starred in Martin as Martin. Hey, he is Martin. He is Martin. And he's also, I will say, uh, he's, he's, I think he's pretty white. And uh, so that character was a little bit of a, a, a distasteful moment where they, it looks like if you pause it, which I went back because when I realized Dude. that was him, I was like, oh. hmm. Um, he's kind of kind of a uh, little be white and be Hispanic. You know, it's it's. I, he's a little. Tan. I wrote a note. Now, I, I was say, like, did I just see he, someone in blackface? <laughs> what is <laughs> happening right now? Oh yeah, John John Amplis John Amplis also went on to uh, co-star in, in Day of the Dead. Wasn't he? Not- uh, he was in Creepshow. He's yeah, he was in Creepshow. He's also in Day Day of the Dead as Fisher. He was the oh. Father's Day corpse that comes crawling yes. out. So yes. Oh God. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, I just wanted to mention him. I thought it was that's that's we we will continue to mention people because as we've mentioned in previous episodes, anytime we talk about George Romero, there are all these people who work with George Romero and then just show up in all these various like behind the scenes in front of the scenes. And, you know, apparently if you worked with George Romero once, you worked with him for your entire career. So (laughs) I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but hey, back to Peter and Roger. Peter, on the other hand, okay, Roger is introduced, uh, basically, you know, trying to trying to keep people alive. Mm. Peter, also a hero, but uh, on a di- on the different end of the spectrum because uh, Wooly has gone apeshit, and Peter Peter uh, puts an end to it. <laughs> well, <laughs> very suddenly. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> yeah, Peter's Which I think I think it's. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, but, you know, is it the two the two are different kinds of that military hero type, mm. you know, that, that Roger's the gung-ho, you know, puts his life at risk, brave, dives into the heat of battle, and and Peter's more like the quiet uh, John Wayne in his darker role kind of thing, you know, where he's, he's efficient, doesn't necessarily make a big deal about it. If someone's got to be put down, he puts him down. He doesn't high-five, he doesn't fist pump, he doesn't spike the ball or anything. It's just had to be done, it was done, on to the next thing. Mm. So, you know, they, they, they get along well. They, they genuinely seem to like each other. I, I, I think this is the first time they've met, right? That's the impression you get. Yeah, yeah, because they, they meet down in the, in the cellar and Scott uh, uh, Roger says, you know, hey, or, or, or was it Peter says something about like, weren't you in Wooly's uh, group or something? And Roger, I think he literally says, hey, man, I didn't see anything. So yeah, they, yeah. they, they don't really know each other, so, but he, so, they immediately, yeah, these guys are, you know, the band of brothers thing. These are men who have, you know, each faced the heat of battle. They have that bond and they have an instant connection. And meanwhile, you know, Steven and Fran are civilians. They, they, they almost feel an obligation to protect them because that's the whole point of the job and everything. But Steven's never going to be in the band of bros here. And Fran's just 
the you know the pregnant woman that I mean God even though civilizations right. collapse and they're no longer under any obligation to do anything you got to protect a pregnant woman you're a soldier well and they they kind of I mean they needed him to fly the helicopter yeah, to that, get that, the helicopter yeah you know I mean you should always keep pointing out he is the one guy who knows how to fly the helicopter <laughs> that does get you some street cred in my book yeah. Now there, there. I said that uh, Roger is my favorite character, and I think he's the most likable character. And I, I think it's it's kind of funny because I, I think for the most part, Peter is a pretty likable character. Obviously, he's very upfront. You know, he's he's not uh, uh, he's not afraid of touchy being feely. very touchy feely or you know straight up like you know telling Stephen uh, sticking a gun in his face and saying, "Hey, don't don't uh, point guns at me." There is one scene I wanted to call out that makes me really dislike him, and I wish they had cut, or, or I should say, one line, and I really wish they had cut it. And this is this is another moment that kind of revolves around uh, Fran, because there's the scene uh, probably about halfway through the movie or so when I think he's, I think Stephen is just told, I think uh, Fran is like asleep, and Stephen is just told Peter and Roger that. She's pregnant. I knew it. And Peter, what? <laughs> sorry, I was like, I know that's gonna be the thing, yeah. and it yeah. is the thing. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm sorry, but like, Jesus fucking Christ, dude. He says to Stephen, uh, "Do you want to get rid of it?" <laughs> what the fuck, man? Well, then he yeah. says, like, "I know how." We know how. What like, is that? What are you, you like in Planned Parenthood clinic? I mean, you know how. <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's like I thought yeah, I was putting wire coat not, hangers he, down in the uh... pamphlets from the pharmacy for the last month. Right, but you yeah. know, I mean, the, the, the thing dog. is, I mean, it's it, it's horrible, but it's again, you're you're talking society is on its. No, no, no. Let, let me let me be clear. Let me be clear. I, I don't think that the question is unfair. Yeah. I think that the asked. question, the fact that he's asking Stephen and that yes, woman right. who's pregnant. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> what I'm saying. The, yeah, that's the, the other thing to keep in mind is even though it's 19, even though the 1970s things were better than they were in the 60s. Right. So, I mean, you can look oh, at yeah. look at Fran's role versus Barbara's. It's still not, it still hadn't progressed as much as people thought it had. Well, I was going to so, say, I don't, so, women couldn't even get credit cards then still, right? Ask. Yeah. What? It's <laughs> an easier question to ask <laughs> Stephen before you asked uh, Francine, right? Just some practice. Well, ask maybe someone who has a real in the and then ask the one who does. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, Renee, also, the, way, the way he said it seemed needlessly insensitive. Yeah. yeah. And it was like framed towards Stephen versus like, do you guys as a couple plan to keep this oh, baby? See, you guys, right, are, you right. guys are reading way too much like political correctness into it. I just, I saw that as like a, uh, <laughs> you're in the zombie it's apocalypse. It's to ask a woman about what she wants to do. With her what was the show? There was an episode of MASH. Oh, it was, it was 1978. I mean, it wasn't like they filmed that's that true. Today. We didn't have I mean, unfortunately, that's the thing is it was, you know, Oh, no, no, I, that's no, there's lots of films from that era that would have, have a pro, I mean, there was this, this subject was talked more about than people seem to think, um, you know, there were, there were a lot of pretty edgy films at that time, so it, it no, it was, it was a false note, it was, no, a, I think, a genuine false well, note. See, I, I still I know, saw I'm it not saying a, in terms of ask, oh, go ahead, Alan, I'm I, I saw it as a thing, as a practicality thing, like, mm. right, having a child, know, but, but, but again, <laughs> you know, looking forward. 
because it's a disaster to have a kid. It's like having a kid. Yeah. This yeah. is why, by the way, I will oh, not yeah. survive my zombie. The last thing I thought about. Any of oh us my gosh, we should have asked the woman first. I mean, I was, I was. My zombie plan is strippers that were alone, and I can do all this and everything. And what I, what I'm not including is a wife with seven cats, and and all seven <laughs> cats have got to be saved. And no matter how oh, I well, twist yeah, this around, I'm right there with you. So you can throw a cat at a zombie. Oh, so, yes. Oh, wait. The, the next thing to get thrown will be me. Be Bill, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I, mean, I, I kind of want to get back to this because I, oh, I don't. Are you th- saying that you. Listen, listen. Oh, I want to get back to this, actually. I, I don't I think the thing game. was, was oh, it was shocking. He was asking if he wanted to get rid of it. That was not the shocking. I think it was the. So, like, Bill, because you were saying, oh, that was, pl- that was approached plenty. Yes. I think it was like what Renee said the fact that he, he addressed Stephen about it. But I, again, I think in that era, and somebody like him, somebody who's going to be a cop in the seventies is not going to be somebody who's going to go. You know, he is somebody who's going to be have a, a sexist attitude towards it. And then, but I think, like Alan said, it really is a. It was he. He was looking at it as a strictly a practicality. Like, mm-hmm. can we have her coming around with this? And I, so I, I think I, the decision to have him ask Stephen instead of her is to make the keep the character likable. Because I think audiences would have turned against him if he, you know, if he if he was, you know, bothering Fran about, you know, oh, well, here you have uh, some good news. Well, I got a solution. You know, I just, it, I can't, yeah. I don't know how that scene would play out and make it. Yeah. I got some like, even better news for you. Yeah. I saw it like, you know, if, 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 if. Franny is pregnant. I was trying to create some other name. If Jennifer is pregnant and Bob is her her husband, I mean, I viewed it really as asking Bob, oh, so what are you going to name the kid? Not like, what are you going to name the kid? You know, what will the child be named? I mean, what is that different? No, no, no. But I know you're saying you're, you're saying right that collective you. Yeah. You were right, thinking he was right. saying the collective you, whereas I think Renee, you were saying right, right. I didn't. You were I didn't saying it more as, it as hey, it's like yo, Stephen, you're kind of an idiot. Would you I, like to you know, meet a hanger, hanger this baby? Yeah. And, and I, well, yeah. I saw the movie. How does Stephen react to the question? I have kind of forgotten. He, he just kind of stands Fran there like a belly. dummy. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> oh God! Well, no, yeah, he, he does. I don't know. They make. I think he kind of like isn't he kind of like oh gosh, you know, no, but. You know, I mean, it's got to be running through his mind, you know, because, you know, it depends on, like, what the character, how far in the future is the character looking. If you're looking a day or two, you're not thinking about things like that. I don't, to me, that just showed me that Peter was sort of thinking towards the future, not, you know, just day by day. Of course, I don't know. It it just, I don't know. It seemed to fit in with the character. I I thought so, too, because he seemed... I'm not, I'm not, I'm actually not even saying that it's out of character for the character. I'm just saying it makes the, the character less likable for me that, that, that line that he's, that he addressed it in that way, which is fine. I mean, it's actually okay to have characters that aren't completely likable, but I don't know. I just thought that was, that was a, that was one she was pregnant most of the time. Yeah. Except well, I did too because doing things that pregnant women wouldn't do because I had made a note. I remember I was, I was about to say she was smoking throughout the entire film and, yeah, and drinking. Yeah. That that was, was like, uh, again. It was the seventies, right? You know, my mom smoked the whole time she was pregnant with me. So yeah, oh, look at you. Uh, that's true. She out. also yeah. fell down the steps too. So. <laughs> oh no! <Wow>. What? <laughs> yeah. You fell down oh, the steps, boy. or she fell down the steps? She did. Oh, she 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 bumped down on her butt. By no, she fell down the steps. By definition, he fell down with her. 
That's true. Yeah. Uh, but she didn't tumble. True, yeah. She kind of slid down on her butt. The other note I had made about uh, smoking. Can you imagine being in a helicopter and somebody smoking? I mean, that's not even like being no in a joke. plane and somebody smoking. It's like we're in like a three foot area and, and you have a yeah. fire going. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, that scene was funny as shit, but helicopter. still. Helicopters, I don't even think they're aerodynamically, scientifically valid. There's just, there's something weird about them. It's the most dangerous thing on Earth. They don't really exist, Bill? Is that what you're saying? I will go down, I will go in a shark <laughs> tank before I go in a helicopter. The only way I'm ever going to go in a helicopter is if I have a stroke and I'll be like, incapacitated. I won't be able to rise up from my, my deathbed to, to tell them, no, no, I'll take my chances with a long car ride. They terrified. Okay. I, I tend oh, to agree. Very but, loud, by the way. Yeah. They are very loud if you've ever actually. Bill is yeah, taking it too. to the extreme. I don't like that, like, the whole concept of them working depends on the little propeller on the end that looks like it could fall off at any Yeah. Just remember, yeah. always approach always approach an airplane from behind and a helicopter from the front. Keep that in mind. Huh. Yep. There you go. I, I, that's your, I didn't know that. That's your safety and, tip uh, for today. You know, well, well, yeah. Well, yeah. We'll we'll get to uh, a little bit later. We'll get to uh, when we talk about the zombies. One of them that approaches it uh, the wrong way. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think uh, I think that Roger, like I said earlier, I personally, I think Roger is my favorite character in the movie. I think Scott Reiniger is a very very likable actor. And I think the thing I think the I I love Peter. And I love Ken Forey. I think the is it Forey or Forey? Am I, I always heard Forey? But uh, you know. Okay, it's probably that's probably right. Uh, I, I apologize, Ken. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the thing about his character is he, he does have moments of humor, but he is so serious and straightforward that I think Roger is kind of a nice, uh, kind of a contrast to that because yeah, he's, he's a trained, you know, he's a soldier, not a soldier, but a policeman, you know, he's, he's trained, he's competent. Uh, but he's also, he's also got kind of a, a, you know, he's a bit of a joker. He's got a, I don't know, he just seems to be a little bit more lighthearted. And I really, I, I wish that Scott, Scott Reininger has been in more movies because I think his performance in this is just, I don't know. It makes me like, if I, if I had to pick one of these characters to be holed up in this mall with, it would be, it would be Roger hands down. Well, okay. So I guess there's a difference between wanting to be holed up with them and being your favorite character. Is there anybody between the four of us that, Who's who? Roger is not their favorite character. Did anybody? I mean, really like I said, favorite I, character. But I found him annoying because he did, you know, he did a lot of stuff that looked like he was going to get killed. But yeah, he he's my favorite character. The other ones are are not as exciting as him. I don't think. Yeah, he. I mean, he's also resourceful. Look, he kills a zombie is about to devour him, and he kills it with a screwdriver. Oh yeah, like he's you know he's got some good kills in the movie too. But no, I don't know. I think I think that I, and I actually do kind of appreciate that, though, because I think that the way that these characters are written is actually really smart, because if he had written two kind of dour, serious soldier type characters, I think it would have gotten old really fast. But I think having these two characters that are actually, you know, very similar in ways, but also very different in ways actually makes them uh, both much more like watchable and likable. So I don't know. Um, so, so I don't right. know. Any, any... Zach, wait a minute. Hold. You're, you're so correct, Zach. So there, there's another sound file for you. I'll clip that out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I only remember Bill um, saying that once, and it appears like 20 times in the podcast. Yeah. What's the deal? <laughs> he who edits controls everything. I think. I think. Uh, and who was it, Bill, uh, who said that? Uh, you know, he's he's a bit of a hot shot, and it actually, I think the one thing that does kind of 
frustrate about me about this movie is how um how careless he's being when you know he he ultimately gets bitten and you kind of spend the the next uh i don't know hour or so with him before he actually turns just like knowing it's going to happen and kind of feeling bad for him going around that little wheelchair a little lone wolf and cub there i mean you know even wounded he's still you know uh, yeah it's and well, it's, that sort it's of brings you know that's the question that everybody asked. It's like, if, when you get bit, why not just shoot him in the head? I mean, you know you're done. Do you, do you yeah. want to, you know, do you want to, I mean, I mean but again, I mean, if, if somebody bit, I, you know, I'd want to be wheeled around in the little wheelbarrow or whatever. I wouldn't want you to just shoot me in the head. Now, I mean, don't forget, well, no, I don't think they had actually stabbed people yet. Yeah, we, yeah. we haven't, they didn't oh, watch all the zombies really? we have. Yeah, I don't think that so, was that was an established thing at that point. Oh, you know, they yeah, just think a bad that. bite and okay. it got infected and everything. And and of course, ultimately, ultimately, we were, you know, it was finally established in um, Land of the Dead in the Romero universe. It doesn't matter if you were bitten or you fell. You know, if as long as your brain isn't destroyed when you die, you become a zombie. That's it. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be a bite to do it. Everyone right, bites just quicker. Bit. Yeah. The bite just yeah. you, you know well, it's going to happen real soon. So, well, the, know yeah, that. the bite, the bite, the bite is almost worse though because that gives you time to like you think know it's coming. It, yeah. You you yeah you get to think about it, and I think honestly, like one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie is after he is bitten and he's still in the truck with Peter and their reactions. Like I love the acting in the scene because there's it's basically just like their physical reactions and. Roger is freaking out and uh, he's, you know, he's obviously terrified. And then Peter is like, it's probably the most emotion he shows in almost the entire movie because he's obviously like shooken up and he's kind of, he's kind of angry. He looks angry, but he also looks like shooken up and, you know, a little bit sad um, because they, they immediately, because I think they do know, I think actually, I I think they must know because it seems like in that scene, they, they both know what's going to happen to him. I, I think that's, I think that that, I think that it's been established in this universe by this point that they know that a bite is basically uh that's that's it for you even if it takes a while to and turn when, you when he's on his deathbed isn't there isn't there like a moment when he like says i'm gonna try not to come back yeah you're right yeah, yeah i love that i love yeah, whatever that yeah, line yeah. is it's great it, it's it's really good um and that's you know and, and ken forey you know peter scardy you know he's he's doing this is the last thing he can do for his friend is to yeah. not have him lurking around being like that you know you know it's yeah you know it is good he underplays the role but it's it's appropriate i don't want to see him blubbering or anything he hasn't done that up till now he's stoic about it but yeah yeah Yeah, well there's also yeah you know speaking of the the time the the scene where he kills him one of my favorite shots in the movie is when I think like, like there's like a sheet over him and it comes down and Roger kind of looks around before he moves. Mm-hmm. Like he, he moves his eyes around and for a moment it's like you can, he's obviously a zombie because they, you know, they, they've kind of overdone it with the makeup and everything, but it's kind of this moment of like, he's there, but he's not there. And he's almost like seeing the world with new eyes for the first time, because when you get turned you are no longer the person or the the even like the, the the species that you were before. You are now something 
fundamentally different. And I don't know, it's, it's, I'm probably reading too much into that shot because it's, it's just a single shot, but I just love that where the sheet comes down and he's kind of like looking around and then he like rises up and, and Peter shoots him. Yeah, but there's almost still some recognition there though, too. I mean, there's, you're there's right about they overdid it with the makeup, both he and, uh, uh, Steven, when they become zombies, you know, the, the wrinkly skin yeah. and the blue here, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but they swung by the Merle Norman counter. Yeah. <laughs> so to, to mention that, I mean, I guess we'll probably do a whole section, uh, third or fourth day we covered this film on uh, Tom Savini, <laughs> but we'll have to talk about the fact Tom Savini did not actually intend the zombies to look the way they look. It's just that's how the film stock took whatever makeup color he used. The blood was not supposed to look like poster paint and the zombies were not supposed to look blue. That's how yeah. it comes out. And, you know, back in the day, boys and girls, they actually shot with film. Film gets developed and different films and different developing gives you very different results. So yeah, you're not bringing it in color. doing color correction. Yeah, you couldn't color correct with a push of the button in Premiere. So. But I think it worked. It works for this film. I mean, we can uh, talk about more when we talk yeah. to the zombies, but. Yeah. Now, is there anything else we want to talk about with these these characters? Any or their performances, or would we would we like to talk about some of the other uh, kind of minor characters? Some of the minor ones. I love the guy with the eye patch on TV. Yeah, let's let's. I mean, oh, we'll, doctor, we'll, yeah. let's just go through and, and call out the people who we who we who we liked in this well, movie. So yeah, the scientists. B- b- before we do that, oh you talked God. about dummies. Uh, you talked dummies, about Romero. Dummies. Go ahead. You, you talked about Romero being yeah. in the film. Um, he also has a credit as the uh, the Santa biker. Yes. So yeah, he was one of the bikers as well. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I wanted to throw that in there because I think uh, I don't, we're probably not going to get that minor of character. Oh, we, we will. We really? uh, I have some pretty minor notes. <laughs> okay. We will get as minor as people's notes. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So so yeah. How uh, Richard France uh, played the uh, the scientist. Uh, he, he was another character that was only in uh, in a couple of movies. In fact, he had I think a much he was in role in the crazies. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was in like nine movies. So I, I mentioned this on the first episode uh, of Night of the Living Dead. Supposedly he's a zombie in that. I couldn't find like any pictures or anything to back that up, but. Yeah, so supposedly he's in that. Uh, but And then, yeah, he went on to be in There's Always Vanilla and The Crazies, which is uh, a role in a film that I love. At. Hopefully we'll actually talk about that movie uh, extensively at some point. So, yeah, he, he was he had worked with Romero a couple times. And I think that he, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, the guy with the eye patch. Uh, I don't know, Bill, what, what are you? What are your way, thoughts my, on? my theory is that The Crazies um, is basically the movie that takes place in between Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. And the crazies, you know, yeah. If, if you can imagine them as being more zombies than they really are, that's exactly what would happen. You, you know, the government is putting out these fires, these little brush fires here and there, thinking they can contain this whole thing. And uh, by Dawn of the Dead, yeah, the fires have burned out of control. Now it's in the cities and it's all she wrote. Yeah, that's a that's a theory I think you mentioned on our last episode, and it's actually one that I really uh, love. So uh, it's see, canon. I'm just going to keep no, saying no, no, it's it. Good. Yeah. yeah, it's good. It, I think it's a great theory, actually. Um, I don't know. Yeah, any any other thoughts, Bill, on uh, on on Richard France in this Should movie? Be, you know that that those scenes when they when they cut back to the TV and you can see the production values are really going downhill. I mean, things are going badly, and this guy is just you know it's the it's like the talking heads that you see on on. 
the cable news and everything is just whoever they can get to sit down there. I don't know what his qualifications are. Although what he's saying makes perfect sense, but no one's. I mean, he's got an eye patch. You're going to listen to him. He's got an eye patch. I mean, you know, listen, a man with an eye patch has at least one good story. <laughs> well, I can't remember. Was yeah. it him or the other guy that was basically saying we need to start feeding the zombies to try yeah, to control that, them? That was that was him. Was that, like, him? Was that know, him? Yeah. Yeah, we got to think outside the box here, and people are just like freaking out and all, and he's he's trying to. You know, we must be calm. I mean, he's he's totally flipped his bird, but. What he says, you know, makes sense. And hey, a little foreshadowing for what we started exploring in Day of the Dead. That's exactly what Dr. Frankenstein does. Yeah. To some yeah, pretty good results, true. I might add, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. I, uh, yeah, I guess for certain people. <laughs> All the other news people are annoying, though. All the other ones are just aggravating. And, and everyone's acting like infants. They're throwing papers, they're mugging at the camera. And you're like, okay, guys. This is the apocalypse. Yeah. Come on, let's be serious here. Well, I, I, I honestly think though it it rang true. I mean, it rang oh, true. Oh, that... no. it totally rings true now. It seems yeah. <laughs> Some people are just gonna like. Oh, there is gonna be the guy who's gonna go in front of the camera, just like fuck you, flip it off. Like I've been wanting to do that for years, and just you know, oh, you know I'm out of here. Now, now we know. Now here's the thing. What we realize now is that when there is a crisis, very quickly we run out of what we know to talk about and then we start going into what we don't know and speculation and then out come the props look i got a giant q-tip i don't know what the hell's i mean they they've got to fill up the news this was this was the first example of to me 24-hour cable tv that didn't really exist oh, yeah. back then True. it does in dawn of the dead and they have run out of things to say on day three and now it's months yeah. have gone by and it's 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 a total shit show well, it's unfortunate they don't have so something. They don't have a Doppler where they can talk about the weather for like eighteen hours back then because that could have filled some airtime. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, they 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 had they lost their uh, their helicopter, so they don't have a oh, weather guy anymore. That is true. Um, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> is there anyone? Is there anyone else? Uh, any other bit parts or any other there characters in this movie? There's some bit zombies. I like. Well, well, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's the only other real humans you're running into are the 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 um, biker gang. There's Tom right. Savini as a biker. There's Tom Savini yeah. as a biker, and then there's m one of my favorites though was was the uh, blood pressure machine guy. Yeah, because <laughs> yes. first he's screwing with it when there when there's, there's nothing you know it's not too bad, but then it's like in the midst of of just absolute carnage he goes and st I mean it's all there for a gag right? It's strictly there for a gag. He sticks it in, they swarm on him, and then the machine says please hold still and shows blood pressure zero zero zero. So. Because those were pretty new in the in the mid late seventies, if I remember. That's when I first remember started seeing those. Anyway, with them on that, yeah. I mean, I can't resist those things. I just like like to go there. They're they're like the little toy car rides that you stick a quarter in, except for old people, and they're free. <laughs> and they and yeah, they they give you useful information. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah well, the, there's some some bit parts that. Again, I don't remember these people from the film. It's only from looking on IMDb, but there are, there are five people with the last name Beatty, I think, B-E-A-T-T-Y, and there's four with the last name Griffith. And I don't know, I just always like to see that because I always just imagine it's like a whole family got together. It's like, hey, they're shooting a zombie movie and they need some biker rednecks. Let's go down there and be in a movie. And I mean, I looked yeah. up, like, I don't, they, they haven't been in anything else. There's no pictures of them, but hey, our whole family was in Dawn of the Dead. I mean, it's got to be. Oh, great. they tell that story every Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look if if the 
if the only if if I had been in Dawn of the Dead and you know in my in my early twenties, I if I lived to be a hundred, that would still be probably the crowning achievement in my life. So uh, maybe that says more about my life than anything else. But yeah, and someone had asked uh, bit zombies. Let's let's maybe save those because I think that's sure. actually a big part of the dead. I I did. Does anyone else have any other uh any other characters, any other living characters that they want to discuss? I got a couple more, but uh, I want to make sure that you guys get. Anyone oh, you want to talk talking about? about Renee, any living, anyone from you? Right. Yeah, yeah. Just other. Yeah. Oh well, those Renee, guys were living. Anyone? No, they were living. <laughs> okay, good talk. Um, <laughs> I, I like, wanna, if I think of somebody, I'll let you know. But I can't think of anybody. Okay. How about the? I'll, I like I'll, the, the biker who steals the bowling ball. I'd like to know what his story is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. all the bikers are great. I got the, one. the bikers are amazing. I like the yeah, crazy-eyed guy in the beginning who kept yelling about cigarettes. Okay, okay, I'm. Okay. I'm, I'm that this right one, before they I, all before lit up I got their cigarettes. Him, <laughs> literally, literally, my favorite character in the entire movie. So this is. I think he was only just credited as like policeman at dock or whatever. Oh. Uh, played played by Randy Kovitz, who surprisingly enough, I when you look at this guy and you're like, okay, yeah, this is definitely someone who Romero just like pulled off the street and. You know, this is the only thing he'd ever done. No, he he has he has fifty credits I, I, on the IMDb. He is still acting. Um, he had a bit part in Night Riders, but he is by far my favorite part of this entire movie. Okay, he's great, and that's not going to great anything else in this movie. But oh my god, the scene, the scene where <laughs> what is what does he say? Like, I think he asked Stephen, like, uh, yeah, where are you guys going? And he says, like, uh, up. And then he like thinks about it for a moment and then he gives like the the nod and the smile <laughs> i i love it so yeah and then the whole thing about he's like cigarettes anyone have cigarettes cigarettes and then they're yeah, yeah they and he was the, so the insistent that the boat was like the way to go i'm pretty sure that was yeah. him yeah i well, yeah that, that's randy Kovitz. no i agree I, I would totally be on board yeah. with the boat oh hey how about the uh the one-legged priest oh yeah he's got, he's got oh, the tagline of the century there right yeah yeah. No more room in hell. The dead will walk the earth. That's as good. That's as as good an explanation as we're going to get for why things are happening. He only had one yeah, leg. Definitely. Didn't he? Yeah, he had yeah. a leg. Yeah. He only had oh. one leg. The bottom half of it was it was a crutch. That oh, was yeah. like, okay. Yeah, I actually had written that that quote down. I did not remember that the guy that said it only had one leg. Yeah, he he was a uh, you know he played a one legged priest, and I believe uh, I believe George Romero cast him in that role because uh, he was a one legged priest. Uh, in real life. So now there is uh I did write I down guess. one more great quote from the movie. Yeah. And it was when they were it was right I think it was it was before they got in the helicopter. And I want to say it was Roger that said it, but I don't remember. I didn't write down who said it. I just wrote down the quote. Um but it it's just hold it there till it spits out at you. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean that's <laughs> great. Crazy. No, 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 yeah, that, that's that's uh, I think uh, 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 Stephen when when they're but it could refueling be, the yeah, it could be the the yeah the tankers. Yeah. I can't I couldn't remember if it was the helicopter or the tankers, but yeah, I was like, oh, I gotta write that down because that's the oh boy, yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, uh, moving on. Uh, one other character. <laughs> one <laughs> sorry. One one other character. Sorry, delayed reaction. <laughs> I wanted to mention. Um, because because this is uh, a, an actor that I absolutely love. This is his very first film role ever. Uh, Joseph Pilato or Joe Pilato to his friends. This first movie ever, he plays one of the cops at the dock. He's got like a beanie on. Uh, but he would go on to be in a bunch of stuff as always. You know, we talk about George Romero's circle of 
uh, of cast and crew. Joe Pilato would go on to be in Knight Riders, but uh, probably most significantly to fans of the series, he would go on to co-star in Day of the Dead as Rhodes, who is, speaking yeah. of unlikable characters, but oh my God, he's so good, so good in that role. And the best death ever. Yeah, D- Joe Pilato, I mean, he, he, he was in, uh, I, I think he's, uh, I actually didn't write down how many credits he had, but he, he would go on to, to have quite a few roles. I think he was, he was one of those characters, or one of those actors who, you know, he was never really like a leading man, but he, anything he showed up in, you'd be like, oh man, there, there he is. I think he, he also had a small role in uh, Pulp Fiction. So unfortunately he died a couple of years ago. He was, he was- I know he was a pistol at conventions too. I think I've only met two of the people. Well, no, that's not true. I've met some of the zombies too, but of the the main human actors, uh, Ken Forey and uh, Joe Pilates were both a lot of fun at these small horror conventions. Seemed to really enjoy the fans and, and have a good time. So yeah, and he acted. And I'll tell you, Joe Pilates acted a lot like he. he I, th- I don't think the acorn fell too far from the tree. I mean, he was <laughs> of definite presence. Yeah. You know? I'm not saying he was an evil, you know, Nazi or right. anything. Uh, he played a good one, but but he uh, he definitely brought an intensity to the role that he also kind of had in real life. I think he probably would have been a fun guy to be a friend with in the sense that he would get you in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's one of those actors. I, I wish I could have, like, met him at a convention and, uh, you know, got his autograph because he, he's one of the, yeah, he, again, like, he, he never had any, I don't think he had any huge starring roles, but every movie he showed in, he showed up in, um, you know, he was great. So, and he's great in this movie. He's only got a couple lines, but uh, it's kind of, again, you know, interesting that this is the, the launch of uh, multiple collaborations with uh, George Romero. So, there you go. I think that's it uh, for me. I, I don't think I have any more of the living that I want to talk about. So maybe just really definitely bits. Yeah. Bits. Yeah. Yeah. The, the rednecks, that whole sequence where they land and, you know, it's like the rednecks from the end of uh, Night of the Living Dead are still yeah. at it, still picking them off, blink, 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 and having a good time and, and everything. But yeah, that can only go for so long. The numbers are starting to work against yep. us. Well, speaking of the numbers, uh, maybe it's time that we move on and talk about the dead. Many have died last week on these threes. In the basement of this building, we find them. I have given them the last rites. Now, you do what you will. You are stronger than us. Well, soon, I think, they be stronger than you. So this is the segment where we talk about, you know, a, a minor element of the movie, uh, which is the zombies. And we kind of talked about in Night of the Living Dead, we talked all about, you know, the the rules that were established and how uh, how zombies were portrayed at the outset by, you know, George Romero. And because Night of the Living Dead, as we discussed in that uh, in that episode, Zombies had existed before, but it was not the they were not the living dead. They were, you know, brought back by uh, by voodoo, basically. So this I mean, Romero and and his uh, co-creators kind of invented the the genre of zombies. And so I think the thing we probably want to talk about in Dawn of the Dead is what rules do they carry on and what rules do they break? How do zombies evolve from night of the living dead to Dawn of the dead? And I've got a lot of thoughts on this, but I would love to open this up and just, uh, you know, 
who who has thoughts on uh, significant changes from dawn or excuse me from night to dawn and uh, what, what you know what what are zombies like in dawn and what are the new rules that are established if any hmm. I think for me the only thing was and it's probably just because it went from black and white to color but it seemed like in the first one it, they weren't as distinctly dead looking as they appeared here especially uh Roger and Steven pretty much just raccoon eyes yeah yeah right well i think it's i think it, i feel like it's probably black and white it's probably also because they actually had a budget for makeup on this not that they didn't i mean the, the, the original actually has some decent makeup for what they had to work with but on this one we have the i mean bill was tom savini was he established when this movie came out or was this kind of like one of the movies that made him he i mean he had worked with romero he did martin you know that for sure uh, i'd have to look up tom savini exactly his filmography but this was this was the one that really made him famous um because of the aforementioned amazing bite effects and the head blowing up and everything this is the one that really put him on the map and and everybody wanted to talk to him. Um, yeah, by far, this was this was way more budget than Knight ever could have dreamed of. And more consistency, too, because if you look at in Night of the Living Dead, the zombies don't always walk slowly. Sometimes mm. the extras aren't following instructions. <laughs> the scene where they're, where they're chasing uh, Ben when he's got the torch after the whole thing goes completely haywire. They're, they're kind of moving pretty quickly. They're they're moving. You know, they they kind of lost the, the notes there. These mm-hmm. are pretty consistently slow moving, um, dead looking. They've got you know they got the gate. There's some great shots of like when they're on the roller rink or the ice skating rink or whatever. <laughs> just that slow walk and everything, which is what I've always liked about the slow zombies. Just that inevitability. It's it's not that they're fast. You could take on any one zombie. Hell, you could take on two zombies, three. If you're in good shape, you can take on a horde, but they never get tired, and you do, and you're going to make a mistake. You're going to slip up, and that's all she wrote for you. So um, I think the zombies are are more consistent. Okay, the blue makeup is a little much, and they kind of tone that down. I think in the subsequent movies, I don't think um, I don't think they were quite so bluey in day, and that was that was not Savini's fault. Uh, he was not happy with the results, but that's how the film stock came out. And Romero said he liked it. It, it kind of gave it that over-the-top, like Paul was saying, unsubtle look. Uh, the blood was really, really red. Cartoonishly red. Yeah. Not realistic red, which is what Savini, you know, he wants it to be realistic. But, you know, it, it, it worked. really worked. Um, I don't know that the, the rules have changed much because there weren't really that many rules in the first one. Um, we already established that if you get bitten, you're probably going to turn into a zombie. And they certainly make that pretty pretty clear here. Uh, I don't know if Steven actually dies from his bites or loss of blood. or I guess it's loss of blood because he turns probably yeah. Well, I, I, one thing they I think they do start doing, and, it, and it's it, it you really see it with Steven, is um, you start seeing a little bit more thought i mean the fact that he does have that memory i mean they they, they established they have memory because that's the whole point they're at the, the mall yeah, but in yeah. terms of i really do think that he intentionally goes up there so they can put him out of his misery um that he 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 is drawn to that place not to go after them because he actually seems to stop and like wait to get shot 
Um, at least that's the way I take it. And and Romero has stated that he in the original script because he eventually does this in you know you see it a lot more in in Day and 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 Land of the Dead. You really see it um, where the zombies are evolving and and starting to really think more. And apparently in this the original script for this, they got very far along when he realized, wait, I, I've got to kind of pull it back if I'm going to do a third film. I've got to kind of pull back that intelligence. But there's a little bit there, at least with that. You know, I remember him saying that there was a big, he thought it was really significant at the very, very end when the zombie pulls the gun away and is holding the gun and everything. Like, that was his first, you know, thinking about what we would see in Day of the Dead. I didn't really get that feeling from it. It just seems like it's just a pure animal thing. Although he grabs the gun and then he seems fascinated by the gun, like maybe he's a soldier remembering what it was. Right, they're starting to... Uh, they kind of lost me with that a little bit. It made me think of, like, dementia patients. Oh. Oh, oh interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, well, here's kind of like what all of them are. I mean, they've got yeah. these memories, but yeah. they're not really, you know, yeah. coherent. I'm, like, wandering around the yeah. mall because I used to go to the mall, but I, you know... I, don't know, I totally I'm, did I'm, that deep dive of zombie or dementia. <laughs> for some reason, I can't well, that's remember. True, though. I mean, that's a really good point. The zombie that grabs the gun, what does he do with it? He does just he like looks it? at it and wanders away. Oh, okay. So it's not the gun that what's his name has that he takes back or something. Oh, I don't. He just picks up a gun. Oh, he grabs it. I think he grabs a computer. Yeah. 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 So what does he do with it? Because doesn't Peter is that the gun that Peter was going to shoot himself with? No, I think it's more of a rifle. Yeah, in the beginning, oh, okay. right when they were trying to close the door, I thought it was he took it from Roger because I thought Peter oh, told him. Oh like, yeah, just yeah, let yeah. It go. I know. Yeah, I think I think that's I think you're right. I, or I think there might be two instances of that. Yeah, I think there yeah. might be. Yeah. Okay. The very end yeah. The roof. Oh, yeah. I gotcha. Oh, I. I'll say one uh, thing that's different. This is the first one. This is the first movie to show to really kind of play with the idea of the zombies as the people they once were. Because we have like a nun zombie and a Harry Krishna mm-hmm. zombie and a wedding zombie <laughs> and a, and all this. And that's become a total cliche and kind of a laughable one. Because realistically, if you walk down the street, you know, your average city street, you don't really see that many nuns and women in wedding dresses <laughs> and Harry Krishnas and all. Everyone's pretty much just dressed like a person. And that's what the zombie horde would mostly look like. But for movies, it's really fun to have the Elvis zombie and the, you know, what, you know, all, all these things, somebody dressed up in a what's clearly supposed to be Chick-fil-A or something costume and, and, and all. I like that. That gives them a little bit more. You know, it makes it more distinctive. Part. You know, they're, yeah. they're the featured zombies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, it was yeah. terrific for some of those actors because they've been able to parlay that into a career. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, I think the big thing that, that, that this movie does establish is the whole thing about memory. And I think it's the, you know, the, the first movie really does portray them as mindless killing machines. And they're still mindless killing machines in this movie, but they they seem to have an instinct that is one step beyond the just urge to kill and consume. So I think like they, I don't think he really changes any of the rules, but I think I appreciate the fact that he kind of adds that rule in. And it's something that obviously he he kind of uh, investigates further in in the later installments of the series. It also also seems like these zombies are 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 more easily distracted. 
like in in the you know in the original one you're really only getting them when they're siege where they're sieging upon the house right yeah and they're just trying to get to the here you're seeing them where they're not necessarily going after food so when they go out and they can kind of just just jog past them until the zombie notices them they're not even going after them so they, they can be easily distracted mm-hmm. um, or if you hit them in the face with a pie or shut salt <laughs> bottle they can be awfully distracted oh there boy as well. poke them in the head with a stick yeah. poke them in the head with a stick yeah <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. I still I, the seltzer bottle. That's like one of my favorites. And, <laughs> and and he just he's just kind of like looking around, like what what the hell was that? Like, <laughs> so, I'm uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I think that if there's one thing I don't like about this movie, it is all those slapstick moments. Because I mean, it. I guess I understand the point of the bikers are trying to show how uh, you know cool they are and macho they are. They don't care. They're, they're all these flesh-eating monsters walking around. They don't care. They're, they're going to hit them in the, the face with pies. But, oh, my God. the sla- Come on, George. What are you doing? What are you doing? It is in the See, slide whistle music. Uh, and the slide whistle. God. It's right, so that, weird. But the thing is, then that makes, like, it's interesting because it transitions from that into mm-hmm. the horrible slaughter. Like, right. all of a sudden, next to you, know, it, it slides into it. You know, see slide whistles. See, it slides into uh... that. And next thing you know, all of a sudden, it's like, <laughs> wait a second. Now there's this horrible slaughter. And and so it's it kind of catches you off guard because it's kind of like, you're like, hey, wait, this is funny. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> Actually, I'm like, hey, wait, this is annoying. George, what are you doing? Um... Oh. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a Three Stooges uh, episode that suddenly goes horribly wrong. Where, like, <laughs> folks curly in the eyes and, and his, his eyes, eyes come actually out. fall yeah. out. He's screaming. He's blinded for life. Yeah, right. Which makes the horror all the all the more. It reinforces it. Yeah. It's sort of like in, um, it, well, yeah. It's sort of like in Pan's Labyrinth, where you have the the fantasy elements make the realistic horrors all the all the worse. Same kind of thing. <laughs> now, this isn't some like a dead person that we saw, but I anticipate that she probably is dead by this point. Why did they leave on the announcement lady that was like, hello, shoppers? I love it. Oh, my God. <laughs> hello, shop. Well, because they, they, they went on. They... And we have a deal for you. Yeah. Because it's automated. And they, they turned all the automated stuff on. They could have turned it off, though. Everything else had an individual switch. If, if, you, ever, if you ever worked somewhere that had something like that plane, oh, my gosh, you can relate to that. Because yeah. when I was in high school, I worked at Kmart. And they had the little Ooh, elevator music and the, yeah, well, whatever the, you know, whatever the announce person is, whoever recorded it. And, you know, they would change them out like once every three months. And let me tell you, by the end of that three months, you were completely sick of the song that they played over and over and over. And whatever voice, you know, was doing the, uh, you know, like, like that lady was doing, oh my gosh, it was just ingrained in your brain because they did. They played it over and over. Yeah all day long like that and that's what that's what that reminded me i was like oh my gosh you know i'm back at kmart i worked at a bookstore <laughs> when i was like 17 and i still remember and it was a song they played all the time and i still remember it to this day wow <sighs> well well there was really one installment like, at kmart they where they played do, they um they played um um Oh God! It's, it's it's it goes. It's the lyric is one night. Oh, that one night in Bangkok. And no, 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 not that. A much worse song than that. And what? I worked with a guy. He he was from Africa. We worked in sporting goods, and and it would come on, and, and he would. I'd come into work, and he'd be like, he'd be back there, and he'd come on, and he'd be like, 
one night. One night. He was sick of it. We were all <laughs> sick of it. <laughs> they played it over and over and over. But yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like they, if your if your car radio only played like four songs and you got to switch it oh. out every three months. I, yeah, I think that's, that's we're, we're veering like. into the, we're veering into the mall section here. Oh, that's we true. stick on that's the zombies true. first. Well, the, oh, yes. the, 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 the thing zombies. I do love about that, that voiceover scene is the fact that he, that that's actually, I believe, laid over uh, some cutaway shots. He kind of does what he does in night, but he actually does more of it. And I kind of like it, but he's constantly cutting or, or not constantly, but occasionally he cuts away to zombies. And I think there's also, I, I want to say the, the scene with, uh, with Richard France, I want to say that the scene where he's talking, they, they start cutting well, while he's talking, you hear his voiceover and they're, as he's talking about the zombies, they are cutting to shots, uh, like group shots and shots of zombies wandering around. Um, and I kind of like that because I like the fact that he's kind of giving, because we normally only see the zombies in the context of like going after humans, but like, yeah, what what do zombies do when there isn't a food source around? And it turns out, well, not a whole lot, but they, you know, they do kind of they they do all have their kind of their personalities and they're kind of doing, uh, you know, they're getting caught in hockey nets and falling into fountains and stuff. Um, so I don't know. I actually kind of like the fact that he's he cuts away to zombies who are not actually involved in trying to eat anyone. Yeah, these zombies didn't seem all that particularly hungry. I mean, I guess, you know, they would eat you, but they didn't seem just ravenous. Well, they were, you know, they were at the mall, so they were yeah. distracted. They were going to shop a little bit, and then they were going to stop at the food court. So um, <laughs> I, that's, what was, that's what I was saying earlier, but the, they're they're kind of more distractible than than the ones that were just, I'm just going to eat you. I'm going to find a food source and eat it. It's, you know, I've got other things to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also, uh, and this is really probably only uh, one shot where this comes into play. But or, or one short scene, but there's there is almost a a little bit of sadness to some of the zombies because one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when I think it's like halfway through the movie when when they like they're all I can't remember exactly what they're doing but they're all upstairs or they're all downstairs trying to uh, get some stuff and uh, Fran has kind of sat down and she's <laughs> like in front of the uh, she, she's like in the department store with the the uh, the, the glass barrier. And like one of the zombies is just like sitting down and kind of like looking at her and he's not even trying to get at her. He's just kind of like moaning. And I don't know. There's this weird. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking it about? It was like weird baby noise yeah, in the background. Yeah. It weirded me out. Yeah. Like they were trying to imply that like her baby was going to be a little baseball player, or like what he could have been. It was like, ah, oh, barf. I didn't even get that. <laughs> really? Wow. I, that I, I did a deep dive with that one. <laughs> well, there was like a baby crying in the background. No, I was like, what are you trying I to imply? I thought it was a zombie. I thought, it, you know, the zombies make a lot of weird noises. I thought it was just the zombie like verbalizing in a weird way. Just like, yeah, like, ah. oh, maybe. I don't know. Mommy. Mommy. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't read into it as much <laughs> as you did. Um, it was yeah. weird. Do, do we want to talk about, we, we mentioned featured zombies and how some of the zombies have a little more personality. Do we want to get into some of our favorite featured zombies in this movie? Since we worked with one of them. Yeah. 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 And I, I will say that is what made me realize that I had never actually seen this movie all the way through. <clears throat> is when I saw Mike Christopher as Harry Christmas Zombie, and I'm like, hey, I know that guy, and I've never seen him in this movie before. So, yeah. <laughs> I was like, so I must have never seen this movie. What's amazing is he, he looks pretty much like the same guy all those years later. Um, but he was such a kid in this movie, and you know, he was so young, I guess, when we made it. Um, 
We're talking, of course, about the Hare Krishna zombie, who we later worked with on Two Brains More, Summer of Blood. Fun guy. And, um, yeah, he's he's cool. Because, remember, there was a time when you could actually run into a Hare Krishna. I guess, I guess they've fallen on hard times or something, because I can't remember the last time I actually saw a Hare Krishna jumping mm-hmm. around or, you know, tambourine or anything. They used to be in Chapel Hill for Halloween, but no, no more. But yeah, he's he's cool, and and that makes sense because you know you would run into folks like that at the mall. Yeah, very true. Now, Mike Christopher, what this was, he was one of many people who I think someone mentioned they 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 were kind of lucky that they showed up in this movie that became so iconic and they were kind of recognizable because a lot of people kind of launched careers. Mike Christopher, this was his first movie, and he's done I think a couple dozen movies since this, mostly just little indie kind of cult things, but. He's obviously made a bit of a career out of being the the Hare Krishna zombie in Dawn of the Dead. So good for him. I mean, that's, you know, we've said this before about horror fans. Horror fans are fanatically loyal. And if you um, if you are in an iconic horror movie, especially if you manage to get an iconic role, it could be a small role. But if it's the one people remember, you can go to conventions and you will never have to buy your own drinks. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, so- and Mike really did have a he had a good, I mean, he had some good screen time. They sort of used his character to um, like lead them down a hallway for some shot. So I I remember when I saw him the first time, I was like, oh, okay, okay. You know, that's all I'm going to see him. But he showed up in another shot or two. So, I mean, he really did get good, get good screen time. They like, they took like something that was recognizable and they used it to sort of progress the, you know, the shot down the hall. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, but, you know, it's still under what? I mean, it, it had to have under, what, a minute and a half, if even that, of screen time. But, yeah, I mean, people recognize him. Oh, my. I guess we're like 40 years later now, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely an iconic part. I mean, I remember I remember watching that as, like I said, in high school and, and remembering his character. That was, like, one of the most distinctive ones Yeah, at the time. So, uh, Was someone going to mention uh, someone else? Oh well, yeah. The uh, uh, I don't know if he was referred to as Chop Top, but the the helicopter zombie. The, uh, the yeah, one that, that was... when they're filling up the helicopter and he climbs up the stuff and the top of his head just goes. Yeah, that really sealed it for me because I remember the you know the first convention that I ever went to, Mike and uh, that guy were there like right next to each other, and I don't know how you would dress as the helicopter zombie, but you know Mike always dressed as as Harry Krishna. And I remember looking at the guy next to him, and I was like, wow, I really don't remember him from the movie. And, you know, now I know why. It's because I had never actually seen the movie. Um, <laughs> but when I saw that scene in the movie, because that was the other thing that went through my mind, is after I saw, um, you know, Harry Krishna zombie, I was like, okay, I remember the, the helicopter zombie was was there, too. So when do I get to see him? Maybe I missed him. You know, I thought maybe it was a zombie near a helicopter. But then it's like, you know, when that chopper chops his I'm like, yep, that's that's helicopter zombie or so. And then that really sealed it for me. I was like, yeah, I really have never seen this movie because I think I'd have remembered who Helicopter Zombie was. Yeah, well, Helicopter Zombie portrayed by Jim Crute, or Crut. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Another person who first uh, appeared in this movie. And he's actually, I looked at his IMDb, uh, he, he, had a, he had a pretty big uh, gap. Uh, it was this movie, and then uh, his next credit was in 2006. But since then, he's actually shown up in a bunch of little things. According to IMDb, he is currently uh, going to be starring in Night of the Living Dead Genesis, which is currently filming, whatever that is. Um, so yeah, someone else who's probably made a bit of a, a, a side career off of, uh, you know, two seconds of screen time. 
another one that I met was Leonard Lies yeah. or Lees used machetes on. And he's the one who just get. I mean, he's probably on the screen for ten yeah. seconds. And Tom Savini puts a machete in his head, one of the simplest effects to do, but it <laughs> looks great. And I remember he was at the, probably the same convention Alan was at, and uh, he was selling like clocks that had his that image of him looking up with that surprised yeah. expression with the machete buried deep in his head. And uh, I'd put that in my classroom if I didn't think I'd be fired. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Yeah, well, speaking of zombies that get uh, get get implements uh, in their head, uh, how about the screwdriver zombie? It's another classic. This one's kind of interesting to me because screwdriver zombie was played by John Harrison. Now, John Harrison was a uh, a musician, and he I, again, like, I, it's kind of hard to tell some of these people if if they were already involved with Romero or if it was like this was somehow they became involved because they worked on this movie. But John Harrison, he actually went on to write and direct episodes of Tales from the Dark Side, Tales from the Crypt, and the new Creepshow TV show. And he also went on to be the composer for Creepshow and Day of the Dead. So wow. yeah, kind of a, I'm assuming he probably knew Romero before this, uh, but I like to, I just like to think that he he showed up to be like a bit zombie and got to talking with George Romero and Romero was like, hey, uh, we should collaborate. And, you know, so there are a couple other zombies. How about the nurse zombie? I don't even I don't even have her name written down. But uh, nurse zombie, always, always one of my favorites. Well, like like uh, like the Harry Krishna zombie. She was like one of the, the ones you you remembered. It was very distinctive. Yeah. Something about her. A uh, cu- couple other. Because again, oh, is the. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, because again, it's the first time you're seeing really distinctive zombies as opposed to just the 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 faceless horde yeah uh, a couple other zombies that that I, I i went through a lot of imdbs and picked out a couple of interesting ones there's a zombie that, that i think he's only in like one shot you see him like he's a zombie that's wearing uh eyeglasses uh played by c courtney joiner who would go on to write class of 1999 puppet master 3 transfers 3 and uh, a bunch of other full moon movies so thought that was kind of interesting oh there yeah you go. and that was probably he i think he was pretty he i think i actually found an interview where he said he was pretty young when he was he showed up as an extra so this actually was like the first like kind of launched his career there's one other zombie unless you guys have anyone else you want to talk about there's one other very very important zombie that i want to talk about uh the plat well there's the, the guy in the in the flat in the, uh, the red plaid zombie. Shirt that's exactly that's exactly that's okay. exactly it he made the poster. He, okay, so yeah, this this guy was played by John Paul. He was actually so he, this was the only movie I think he was ever in. I couldn't find any other credits for him. However, he was in a band called Fluid with a bandmate by the name of Mike Christopher. So apparently they were they were in a band together. You can actually find their music on uh, YouTube if you like trippy seventies music. Uh, it's all right, it's all right. But I kind of wanted to mention him because. He has become, he's in there for like two seconds. He has become the icon for this movie. Probably because they, I mean, they put him on the poster, which is, you know, like, so I just think it's very interesting. Like, they, how did they decide to A, put him on the poster out of the 50 million zombies in this movie? They chose him. He became the icon. And now he is pretty i mean you you buy the the blu-rays now that are coming out and that's you know his image is on there and i think it's just well I, I, yeah, 
yeah, it worked because it's such a simple design for the poster. It's it's the kind of thing they don't do anymore. But it's he's really just a white silhouette with some magic marker eyes, and then the wounds are just done in red. So this whole poster is just black and white and red, and uh, it sells it. It's 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 great. It, you know, I just love the simplicity of that. When you can take something and cut it down to its basic level, you see that and it's instantly recognizable. And and what zombie is he credited as again? You said he's like uh, I plaid don't shirt think he's zombie. even credited. I think he's actually yeah, one of the uncredited sure. zombies. Oh, what's his name? Uh, John Paul. So yeah, good luck finding him. No, just go go look, look in the IMDb. Look for oh, okay, plaid shirt zombie. Oh, he's bald zombie. Yeah. Bald oh, was he credited as bald zombie? Well, you know they got a well. They've got a lot of people, I guess, that have added themselves or whatever. But yeah, yeah. he's under one of the uncredited. Yeah. So I think um, that's kind of funny. There's also a few more. There's a few more uh, Savinis that are uncredited. I assume they are Tom Savini's. Uh, I don't know, children or relatives. Yeah. I don't know anything else. Uh, I feel like we probably we talked so much about the zombies and like just the the premise of zombies in our last episode that not a whole lot changes here other than, like we said, some of the behavior, um, some of the appearances and just making them a little more like individualized. But uh, for the most part, this is just a continuation. I I think I actually appreciate that. This is not a movie. You know, some directors will be like, oh, I'm making the sequel and it's going to be bigger and better. And then they just ignore some of the rules that they set up in the in the first film, which uh, Romero obviously respects, you know, his his prior art in this movie. Yeah, we don't want to beat this subject to death. Uh, well, I'm actually right, very sorry. surprised. Uh, we, we can move on to our next section, but I'm kind of surprised that uh, Renee didn't have anything to say about a couple of the zombies. <laughs> the, the only fast zombies in the movie. Oh, God. What did I miss? Was I not paying attention? Well, what happened? Oh! <laughs> oh! Sorry. Sorry. Never oh, mind. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, my yeah. favorite yeah. part when the like freaky little kids break out of the closet. Which is... And he like, throws them across the room. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then like the shots, because you can't like yeah. shoot a kid. Yeah. But you can like heavily imply. Well, oh, it's it's so not good. graphic. And it, my guess is, my guess is that's cut the way it is because they just couldn't put squibs on a little kid. But the fact that, yeah. yeah, the fact that they straight up just kill some zombie kids in this movie pretty early on, which <laughs> at the time, I mean, I think that was, pre- when was, um, when did Assault on Precinct 13 come out? Was that 73? I think it was around that yeah, time. Yeah, because I remember, learned, Don't kill kids yeah, movies. yeah, I remember, I remember Carpenter saying that's the, the reason that he kills a kid in the first 10 minutes, spoiler alert, is because that was like totally forbidden and that was the best way of showing that, you know, these guys were really bad. But but still, yeah, still, it feels like in 78, it was still not a thing that you saw a whole lot of, um, especially 2005. So, oh, no, wait, no, that's that's no, it was 76. <laughs> oh, yeah, 76. OK, so that was only a couple of years earlier. But but yeah, I thought that was kind of like, man, they, they he straight up works those kids. Was suppo- supposedly enough. Ken Foray did not know they were going to have the kids jump out and grab me. <laughs> really? He so, did look startled. Yeah, yeah, like, what the hell? Oh, man. It's probably a good thing the, the gun wasn't <laughs> actually loaded. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to say that was a natural instinct for him to throw oh, the kids. They're not really zombies. Don't kill them. Oh. You know, Zach, you said that you couldn't put squibs on the kids. They didn't really use squibs in this movie. They they use the oh, old really? button on a string. Oh, okay. Occasionally you can see the string. Yeah. I thought I thought that there were a couple of shots where they use squibs, but yeah, I didn't. I, I'd have to look so, at it again because that's what I, I just saw a thing saying we couldn't afford squibs, but 
it seems to me, unless unless I'm just totally wrong and I got to watch again, it might just be good editing. Uh, so, Bill, it, Bill, explain to our audience like about the button on the string. So I the need to, yeah. What's is, what is yeah, that, please? You take you you make up the head to look like it's wounded, and then you take a button on a string and stick it on top of that wound, and then you take derma wax, which is the, the wax they use to patch up dead bodies for funerals and stuff, and you put that over the button, and then on cue you pull the string, and the derma wax, which if you've blended it well, looks like regular skin, suddenly explodes out, and the actor sells the move, and you know you pretty much make it look like they got shot in the head. That's a, and Tom Savini was great at this. He would demonstrate this on like Letterman and things. And if it's done well, it looks really good. Now the problem is even using the invisible thread and everything, it's not totally invisible. Sometimes you'll see it, especially when you get the super duper HD version of, of the film. Nowadays they could probably paint those out and post, but if it's edited well, it's, it's a pretty good effect. It still works. And they did that a lot because squibs are expensive. I've, I've only played with them once, and they were really, really expensive. And it takes so. A what's lot a to... squib then? It just self explodes, like it's a, no, it's it's a ta- oh no, it's all attached with wires, and oh. um, you have to have it hidden. It's they're specially made. Don't anyone ever try to make your own squibs? If anybody you ever see anybody, oh, I'm just going to put a piece of metal on their skin and then put a firecracker on top. I was just yeah. Say, yeah. Yeah. What does Newton have to say about that? Equal and opposite reaction. You're going to put a hot piece of metal into this person's skin. You're an idiot. <laughs> don't do this. Uh, squibs are expensive and, and they don't just sell them to anybody. You have to have like a specialized squib person to use them. I literally thought earlier right. you said squid <laughs> and I thought they were like <laughs> using squid. squid to be like intestines yeah. or something. Oh, and I was oh, like, yeah. oh, that's weird. Oh, oh man. Can you imagine that in the heat? Oh, God. Oof. Yes, I can. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think there's one last zombie I wanted to mention before we move on, and that is uh, one of the zombies who gets hit with a pie in the face in the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, my favorite part of the entire movie is uh, played by Roy, Roy Frumkis. I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong. Now, he was actually on set at the time because he was making a documentary uh, which I think you can find online and on some of the DVDs. It's called Document of the Dead. It's actually really interesting because it's got... Uh, he's basically on set while they're shooting. And I think he was a, a university student at the time. Uh, gets to, you know, talk to George Romero a bit. Uh, it's really interesting. It's it's not like nowadays where you have behind-the-scenes stuff, which is basically just a commercial for the movie. But anyways, yeah, so he's in the movie. I also wanted to mention that he actually went on to write a couple of feature films, including The Substitute with Tom Berenger, and he also wrote 1987's Street Trash. Street Trash. Wow. Yeah. So, yes. my <laughs> wow. one of the most amazingly made, most despicable films ever. I thought that was kind oh, of interesting. It's, it's, oh, it's unforgivable. Yeah. So, that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Oh, it's not bad at all. It's amazing. Like I said, it's a very well- but yeah, it's, a, it's pretty it's a very well-crafted, disgusting <laughs> it's, film. Um, it's got some things you won't Was it see. Viper Malt Liquor? Was oh, yeah. Or it's Viper Wine. It's not the worst movie I've ever had to watch for a podcast. Oh, no. That's Bloodsucking Oh, Bloodsucking Freaks, yeah. Which <laughs> we will... I mean, and worst, worst in the sense of, like, morally problematic, I guess. It's, um, I mean, I, I guess kind of a Holocaust will always hold that, but... 
I'll yeah. add that one to yeah, my list. Yeah, but street trash has, yeah. Anyways, but, but we're not talking sucking, about Yeah, we're talking about blood-sucking freaks no, next we'll week. So. Um, <laughs> oh, God, no, please. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think unless anyone else... It broke me. Broke me. <laughs> oh, God. That, that takes a lot. I've known Bill long enough to know that uh, it takes a lot to break him. I think, we've, <laughs> I think we've covered all we probably want to talk about with the zombies. So let's move on to our final section where... Uh, we're going to talk a little bit just about the settings, about the themes, about the people behind the camera. This is kind of kind of a uh, kind of a uh, an all sorts uh, section for all the stuff we we didn't get to before. And this one I'm going to call the Mall of Romero. What the hell is it? Looks like a shopping center, one of those big indoor malls. Now, one of the most important characters that we didn't talk about in this so far, really, is is really the mall. It's the Monroeville Mall in Monroeville, Pennsylvania. And this is one of the very few locations I have ever been to. Uh, I'm not the sort of person who generally, like, goes around. You know, some people do, like, tourism, uh, I guess, like, you know, film location tourism. I've never been into that, even though I'm a huge film fan. But I do remember six or seven years ago, I... I knew someone who was going to school up in Pittsburgh and I went up to visit them and I saw a sign that said Monroeville, like on the highway. And I was like, wait, Monroeville. And I looked at for, for some reason, I didn't make the connection. I looked it up. I was like, holy shit, that's the mall. So I went and it, I was horribly disappointed because they've changed absolutely everything about the mall. And I think there's like one or two things. I think maybe like the skylights were the same. So anyways, um, what do you guys think about the mall? Lots of great shops. They even have a gun store. And a bank. And a yeah, bank. Well, that, that's no, one, one thing that struck me about them all was uh, they spent a lot of time in pennies. I didn't know if pennies gave them any money. I assume they didn't, but they did seem to spend a no. lot of time in pennies. <laughs> and when they drank <laughs> beer, <laughs> it was Iron they... City beer. <laughs> well, I was going to say about the bank, the shot, there's a fun thing about that shot where they have like the money when they're robbing the bank basically yeah that's actual real cash yeah they i think they were i think they said they were i i can't remember specifically i thought they said they wrote a check that really would not clear and the <laughs> bank actually gave them it was like twenty thousand dollars in cash wow they were and when it was all times. done they were able to the the amazing thing was they figured okay somebody's gonna pocket at least a couple hundred of this because you know it's it's gonna be all over the place they got it all back, but four about four dollars. Wow. Well, you know that's <laughs> yeah. that's the sort of set that Romero ran. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Iron City beer. You said, Alan. I believe Romero actually shot a couple ads for Iron City beer uh, before he went into pictures. Mm, so okay. yeah, maybe there was some tit for tat. Yeah, there. maybe. Um, no, but the thing about money, I guess this was you know back in the day. They say nowadays, like the last thing you want to do is uh, is use real money in any film because apparently like the FBI or something has to be there. They just say, always use fake money. Don't ever even think yeah. about using real money. It was a different but, time. Yeah, back in the day. It was a more innocent time. Yeah. <laughs> is there, is there anything else? I'll kind of open this up. I have a couple things to mention. I know we are kind of running short on time in this episode, so we do have to wrap things up, but um, is there, is there, are there any other people behind the camera or anything about the making of or, the themes of this movie that people want to kind of touch on. Well, we haven't actually mentioned the theme, even though it's it's really obvious, right? We've talked about that. Yeah, it's that shopping is good. It makes me happy. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the, it was, you know, the anti-consumerist message in, in there. You know, the, all these zombies, all they do is want to consume, right? I mean, I think it's 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 pretty straightforward. Again, we're we're not dealing with subtlety here. 
and even on a, even on a Romero level, this is even less subtle. Yeah, I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't tell if you're kidding, Alan. You but guys I, think about things I don't, though. I mean, I don't, yeah. I, don't, I think they, I, I think they upfront it say. I think the characters literally say, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. This this is a place that was important. Yeah, to them yeah. In their lives. You know, this is fairly subtle. I mean, I, I've always kind of gotten annoyed that someone told Romero, "Wow, your stuff is really political." And I think he started believing it. You know, it's it's in there. Sure, you can, you can interpret that. But you know what? It, even if that had not been his intention, suppose he just, you know, like, we're going to have a zombie movie. People, you know, going to make a last stand. Where would they go? Makes sense they'd go to the mall and all. It's it's in there. But, you know, people say, oh, it's a, it's a powerful satire on our consumer culture. I don't know about that. I mean, you know, it's it's in there if you want to find it. But. What else? What else? What would be different if somebody went in there, and decided to make a movie, a zombie movie, a zombie apocalypse movie set in a mall? What would have been different if they had absolutely no intention of doing politics? Well, they wouldn't have had. They wouldn't have had the whole comment about about. Well, this was something that was yeah, right. right. This is like, I mean, that was that's really that was, it. It's, it's it's in that. I mean, that's line. yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's the the to them. I mean, there's a, there's a lot. I think you get into it. I I, I do think what? it was intentional. Maybe the zombies didn't go there because it was important to them. Maybe they have enough of a brain in their head to realize, you know, I like to eat people. Where do people go? Oh. I mean, that, that makes yeah. sense. If I want to eat people, now nowadays, of course, that's the last place I would go. Because <laughs> malls are like a, 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 a ghost town. I'd, I'd go somewhere else. I don't know where I'd go. Actually, I mean, nowadays. But, well, uh, ch- yeah. changing, the, changing the subject completely and going to something that actually is... they I, For a long time, it was the 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 general knowledge gen, you know the general understanding was oh no one ever says the word zombie in the in the Romero films it's like nope and it's like almost the two hour mark like one one hour and fifty five minute Ken Foray says those zombies are going to be all over the place oh. in the uh, theatrical cut so it is actually in there and it's and, in uh, there oh, it's in there the the false I, I, IMDb trivia on Land of the Dead yeah yeah I you know I don't think we've I've said it yet but let's give this movie credit for something this I mean, you could argue it was Night of the Living Dead that invented the modern zombie movie. Fair enough. But this is the movie that invented the zombie apocalypse well, genre. Yeah. I mean, but, Bill, can I actually jump in? Sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. Sure. But I, I had the, the – this was going to be one of my final closing thoughts because oh. I love the fact that we're we're on the same wavelength. But, well, no, no, no. But my thought was this, this movie, uh, Night of the Living Dead, invented the zombie genre, but Dawn of the Dead invented the zombie survival fantasy. And that's why you remember at the, t- at the top of the show, I was like, "Hey, what's everyone's survival right. plan?" Everyone had one. Everyone thought of this. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that I you know, but you're also right. I mean, it invented it invented. This was the the next step in the the evolution of the the scope. But I think it's really interesting because this is also the movie that like I think really got people uh, starting to think like, "Oh yeah, what would I do? Where would I go? Where would I be safe?" And that's something that people, horror fans, every every anyone, you go to a horror convention, you ask every mm-hmm. nine hundred people there, "What's your zombie survival plan?" They will pull out some <laughs> blueprints and start explaining it to you. Oh, yeah, so I have a friend, and oh, I'm sorry, I have a friend. She's not a horror fan at all, and we were just talking about it a couple weeks ago, and we talk about it every so often, and she still is like, "Nope, taking myself out. I don't want to deal. I'm done. That's a, that's <laughs> Checking out." Plan. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, she's going to make herself that. a zombie. She's very consistent. She's contributing to you the know? problem. 
She, not if she shoots herself in the head. Yeah. The, the guy in the yeah, one of the one of yeah. the guys at the very beginning does. Yeah, that. he shoots Remember himself in the mouth. Starts going yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Bill. What were you? What were you? Gonna, I I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yes. Oh, you're fine. I've I've long since forgotten. Perfect. <laughs> well, I'll, I'm gonna give. Yeah, was almost thirty seconds. Ago. I'll, I'll give you a moment. I'll give you a moment to come back to it because there are two people. Well, actually, I guess three. We 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 talked a little bit about Goblin. Uh, at the fr- at the top, so I, I I don't know if we have to get too much into them, especially since I didn't take like extensive notes. Um, I will say that I love the score. I, I actually love the incidental music in this movie or the library music, but I also love 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 the, the Goblin score, and that that is like to me some of the most iconic film music ever. Two other people I, I just wanted to call out behind the scenes: the cinematographer on this movie was Michael Gornick, and. We actually talked about him a little bit on an earlier episode because I think he was, uh, I, I, I believe, a he worked in the sound department on The Amusement Park, which was a film that Romero, or a, a PSA, I don't know what exactly you call it. It's something that he shot in 73, but it wasn't released until just recently. But Michael Gornick, he only shot five movies as a cinematographer. And he did Martin, he did Dawn of the Dead, he did Knight Riders, Creepshow, and Day of the Dead all beautifully shot films. It, it just boggles my mind that he, I mean, he shot some of the most iconic horror films of all time. And that was it. He went on to direct, he directed Creepshow 2. Uh, it was kind of interesting though. I actually couldn't find a lot of information on him, but I did find an interview where apparently he actually got his start in, uh, he was, I, I guess he was drafted during Vietnam. And instead of being, you know, mm-hmm. sent, sent to fight, he was, uh, I guess he had a background in film. He was actually drafted into making propaganda films for the Air Force, as he put it. Wow. But, but then he, yeah, I guess he, he, he was familiar. He knew of Romero because um, Romero had already, you know, he, he had made Night and I think he had made a couple of other movies at that point. And I guess he, he just went and basically introduced him to introduced himself to Romero and started working with him. And yeah, produced some of the most memorable, some of the most memorable cinematography of all time really stand out to me all that much in Dawn of the Dead. I mean, in Creepshow, it's brilliant. But he wasn't just a one-trick pony. I mean, not every movie he made looked like Creepshow, nor should it. So, uh, but yeah, this this works fine. Um, I do miss a little bit. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine this film in black and white. It would be probably awful in black and white. The color is such a part of it. But it definitely takes away from the scariness being in, in color. Uh, that, that black and white, of, they did colorize Night of the Living Dead at some point. It was horrifying. Horrifyingly yeah. bad, not horrifying. Um, you know, so, but, but yeah, it looks, it looks fine. I mean, I'm trying to think of, trying to think of anything that really stands out. Um, I don't know, for some reason, again, even, and Martin. Now, Martin was also black and white. The, the films of his that I like the most are the black and white and Creepshow. Creepshow's great. Great stuff. I mean, maybe the most successful comic book looking film ever done. People have tried to make films that look like comics, and it's usually terrible. I'm looking at you, Andrew. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Well, the the other person I wanted to call out uh, or mention was uh, actually a name that I think you mentioned at the very almost the very top of the show, Bill, and we didn't actually expand upon. But uh, you mentioned the name Rubenstein, and you were of course referring to producer Richard P. Rubenstein. Um, now, this is actually a, a, another person that Romero started working with on the amusement park uh, in 1973. Uh, Rubenstein was the associate producer on that. 
but uh, he would go on to produce a lot of Romero's movies. He would produce Day of the Dead, Knight Riders, and Creepshow. But there's also kind of some interesting uh, crossover because Creepshow almost works as a crossover between uh, George Romero and Stephen King because then Richard Rubenstein went on to produce uh, Pet Cemetery, Golden Years, and The Stand, uh, both the amazing uh, miniseries and the awful new series. Um, but hey, he's he's, oh. he's still he's still doing well for himself. Uh, he is apparently one of the executive producers on the upcoming Dune film, so uh, still going strong. Oh, yeah. And he, he and Romero apparently had a bit of a, a split at some point. I don't oh. know. Oh, amicable or not? Because yeah, there's you know at some point they definitely separated. Um, I'm just not sure what uh, what the reasoning was or. Yeah, I'm kind of curious now because uh, I, I didn't actually like look up anything about their relationship. I did notice that there is a point in uh, Romero's career. I think it was actually after I think it was Day of the Dead was the last movie that he produced for Romero, which is kind of interesting because, like I said, Rubenstein went on to produce a bunch of stuff. I don't know if he had a connection to King, but he did Pet Cemetery, Like I said, The Stand. He also did Thinner, The Night Flyer. Um, the Langoliers. So he was working on a bunch of stuff. But most interesting about this to me is the fact that Romero would go on to do uh, The Dark Half and Rubenstein did not produce that movie. So I don't know. Yeah, I, that's kind of interesting. I, I, I know the two of them, Rubenstein and Romero, for a long time were trying and they just could not, I guess, crack that not to figure out how to make that book into a single oh, movie. So, sorry you, you oh, oh so you, you you dropped out there but were you talking about their attempts to oh. uh adapt the stand yeah, yeah. A, a romero version of the stand oh my and, god yeah you know, it, oh. it, i know i know that's that was that was i think i think that was what one of the things that romero was working i think he'd been working on it for a while but i think the closest he ever got to that was around like the late 80s early 90s and that is probably one of the like, man, if I could go to an alternate universe and pick any movie to watch, <laughs> it would be like Jadorowsky's Dune and then Romero's The Stand. I think they tried to make it into an actual movie. Now, he, Rubenstein, ended up um, producing the TV version, but that's certainly not, I don't think Romero was interested in that point of doing a, a TV version of The Stand. Yeah. You know, and this is not cable TV, this is just TV too. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, but there's a, there's a lot of unfortunate. Things. We should maybe do a whole episode on unrealized Romero stuff because oh. there's a long period there where just nothing was happening. Yes, I I, re I recently found out about the I guess he had been working on this post-apocalyptic sci-fi film with Jim Shooter called Copperhead that never got made. Yes, I remember Shooter talking about that at a convention. He seemed really excited about it. Um, yeah, there, there's a, there's a whole bunch of things that just would get announced and then not get made. He always wanted to be independent yeah. from the Hollywood you know, studios and everything, which is great. And that's made him what it, what, what it is, but those are the guys with the money. And, you know, if, if you're going to stick to your guns as he did, the price you're going to pay is there's not going to be a whole lot of things in the resume. Yeah. Well, hey, yeah, let's let's stick a pin in that. I would actually love to maybe do a, an un, unmade Romero films episode at some point, because um, that's yeah, like you said, there's there's a lot of stuff that he tried to get off the ground that 
uh, for various reasons he was never able to actually realize. To, real quick, I, I know like we're pressed for time here because uh, we, we have some folks that need to run, but uh, two other things I wanted to call out because I have them in my notes and I forgot to mention them earlier. Uh, Bill, you always mentioned about the, uh, you talked about the extended version and the stuff it cut in. And you also always talked about how Romero is such a great editor. And the one thing I watched the extended version when I was watching it for this, and there wasn't a lot of different, there weren't a lot of changes that I immediately noticed, but there was one change that I, I just remembered because it, it, the cut always st sticks out in my mind. And that's the one where, uh, pretty early on where, uh, we cut from Peter in the cellar and he's, uh, you know, he's killing all the zombies and he lifts the gun and points it directly at the camera and fires. And then it cuts to, uh, Steven pulling the, the dead body back at the Harbor. And that's, that's like just an amazing cut. It's perfect. And in the extended version, they cut to like them landing the, the helicopter. And then he goes into the place that adds absolutely nothing. And it's like, and it makes you realize what a great, brilliant editor Romero was because he cut at the exact right point. Also last thing, uh, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll open it up. And if anyone else has anything they want to discuss, uh, before we get to our final ratings, but I, I have to mention, I mentioned uh, uh, Kovitz, uh, Randy Kovitz, my favorite part of the entire movie. I don't even know his name. I couldn't even find the character's name, but my my least favorite part of the entire movie, by far the worst line in the entire film, is the guy who just says, our responsibility is finished. Anyways, I don't know if anyone knows what I'm talking about, but... Yeah, at the TV station. Yes, the worst delivered line <laughs> in the entire movie. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, he was just so done with it. Well, he was done with it. Um, and apparently, mm -hmm. yeah. I. <laughs> Does anyone else have anything, uh, or do we want to move on to our, our final uh, ratings and rants about uh, Dawn of the Dead? Well, I've got a couple of tiny little things that, you know, like I like to look for in movies. Oh, boy. Okay, um, give us give us a rapid fire here. <laughs> Okay, so the uh, call letters of the of the TV station apparently are W G O N, you know, like gone. Anyway, uh, that's uh, you know kind of cool. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm always looking for a timeline, <laughs> and um, I know you, you you were saying that I guess they were they were shooting this near Christmas or <clears throat> something with the decorations and everything. But if mm. you, if you look in the movie and you try to establish a time period of the year, there's I only saw one calendar. And it looked like it said December and some of the things in the mall were advertising an after Christmas sale. So I envisioned that this was the last week of December or maybe early January. And then forgot to, to you know, flip the calendar. Anyway, <clears throat> I look for weird stuff like that. And, you know, I'm always looking for uh, some type of, uh, of an editing thing. And the only the only one that I noticed in this one is there's when they are in the. Um, uh, it's, it's when they're doing something with the tankers uh roger they're they're shooting people and he he has more blood on his face in one scene like when he's driving and as soon as they cut back he has much less blood on his face anyway hmm. that's my uh that's my one my, the one goof that i found well this has been another episode of alan's house of bloopers uh thank you for listening <laughs> Uh, is, <laughs> is there anything else or are we good? To, do we want to move on and uh, kind of slap a final rating on this one? I just, apropos of nothing, I just want to point out that there's a new uh, George Romero project that we can watch now, 2021. This man's producing more stuff dead than he did in some of the yeah, he's like he was He's alive. like Prince. With the greatest title of all kind, uh, Iron City Ass Oh, figures. yeah, yeah. Oh, from <laughs> Iron City minute, Bear. 20 a 20 minute pro wrestling TV pilot that never got off the ground. Uh, yeah. Well, 
I now have to see this before I die. I think you can actually find it on YouTube. It's not great, but we'll, we'll oh, have to do a review. No, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do an entire episode on it regardless yeah or sure yeah. Um, all right well i think i think it's i think we've gone through all of the aspects of this film that we care to discuss so let's uh let's get to our final section here and let's kind of wrap up and give our final thoughts on this one and give it a final rating and and we'll we'll kind of uh you know pass final judgment on this one so uh you know bill let's start with you uh Give us a rant. Give us a rating. Uh, what are your final thoughts on Dawn of the Dead? You know, I mean, I feel like after with all the things I say about it, I want to give it a 10 out of 10. I've watched this movie so many times. I don't want to say I'm bored with it, but if I had a great copy of all three of the initial trilogy, it might be the last one I watch. Um, Night still is one of the scariest movies I ever saw, and it still holds up. Day... I, I really loved it. It's not the film he meant it to be, but it's just got the most amazing of all the TV effects um, and great, great over-the-top portrayals and everything. Dawn's, Dawn's kind of in the middle, but I mean, I love it, but I've just watched it to death. Ever so many versions of it. Almost as many versions as you own. That's how many times I've watched this. So I'm going to give it a 9. Nine point five, let's say. It's it's you know. Wait, are we going out of ten? Five, Bill. Well, no, we usually go to five. Normally Bill. we do. Oh, yeah, rewound <laughs> tapes. Five rewound tapes. Four and a half. That's half of ten. Okay. okay. You can do four point <laughs> seven five. That would be yeah, four point seven five. Fine. But now, in terms of influence, if you're talking about influential horror films, this is this is a ten out of ten. This is this one. There are so there are so many horror films that would not exist if this one had had. You know, so many, oh my God, so many horror uh, TV shows, volume, books could be written with just listings of films that owe their existence to Dawn of the Dead. And, so what's your uh, final number there, Bill? 4.5 or 4.75? 4.5. 4.5. Really? I can, I can fractionate. Oh, like, you, you can do, no, do 4.8 if you want to, Bill. This is your, your podcast. 4.8. Oh I'm going to stick with 4.5. Probably going to have a low one. Great, great film, and I'll tell you, oh man, I, I do not, I envy everyone their youth, but I, I uh, you guys should all envy me being able to see this in the theater when it came out, because that's something that's never going to be repeated. No one was ready for this. Nobody was prepared. Even the people who knew about Night of the Living Dead and how scary it was and everything, this was, this was a whole new world. There had been gory splatter movies before this, but they were mostly incompetent. Just, you know, porn movies where they couldn't get anyone to take their clothes off, so they just substitutes, you know, cheap guts. And there was no art to it. This was this was a kick in the crotch. And uh, glad I was there to see it. So it's got a special place in my heart. Yeah, I, I was actually super happy a few years ago when they did a 4K remaster. I got to see it in the theater, but... I, I this is one of those movies, if I could see it opening night, I would I would give just about anything for that. All right, well, let's move on to someone who I actually don't have any idea how they are going to score this one. So I'm, I'm always very interested to hear uh, scores from this, uh, this individual. Alan, what did you think about 1978's, not 2004's, Dawn of the Dead? I'm just going to go ahead and give you my rating and then tell you why. Oh, boy. I'm Wait giving on. this a 2.5. 2. Okay, I'm, you're out. Um, I'm you're out. The island. I'm for you. <laughs> 
I mean, really, I mean, I think, you know, I should probably be bound and shot, you know, for people that really love this film. Go ahead. But, I, okay, there, there's, I have one, like, complaint with the movie that would hold up over time. And I think this movie is too long. I think that they spent too mm. much time doing some stuff and it, it was just too long. I, I would like to have to see this an hour and a half. Now, the other thing that makes me give this a 2.5 is that I think I've just seen too many zombie movies that were sort of, you know, inspired by this one. So when you go back and see the original, you've seen all of this other stuff. It's like there's nothing new here because, it, I mean, it was new when they did it. And I've seen all this stuff. Like I said, I, I just saw this for the first time, at least all the way through probably, you know, three or four weeks ago. So... It was like, wow, this is just like all these other zombie movies, but I really should have seen this one first instead of the the 4,000 that I saw first. Um, but, you know, if I was just, you know, if I'm, if I was grading this on a, on a movie that I'm seeing, I, I mean, yeah, this, this would be a 2.5 for me. It's, uh, I, unfortunately, if you've seen 4,000 movies before this one, this is a run of the mill zombie movie for me, but I, I understand that this was sort of groundbreaking, but as far as, you know, like I said, I've, I've seen too many of these movies now to give this a higher rating. Well, it was, no, that's, I, that's actually valid. I've, I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, I just want to validate your feelings as it were, because I've <laughs> run into that. No, I'm saying I've run into that before. Like I watched some, some iconic eighties action film that I didn't watch at the time. And when I watched it, I was like, Oh, this is just the same shit that, that everyone does now. It's like, Oh, but this was what invented it. So yeah, right. it, it's right. you you intellectually can understand it, but emotionally it's like yeah, but it still didn't do anything for you. I get that. Right. Right. Well, mm -hmm. Paul, why don't you tell us what this movie did for you? Um, when I like I said I first saw it, it was in high school. It was a a, a a spontaneous day off, as it were, and it felt like it was something naughty because it was you know it was unrated. It was like you know we're watching shit we're not really supposed to, even though we were high school students. Still, it was like still felt like. Yeah, this is this is cool because this is still something semi forbidden, um, and it still feels like that way to me. Um, I want I want to give it a, a full. Uh, I'd go with a four point seven five as well. Uh, and why I'm not giving it a five, I don't know. Probably because, like Bill, it's I, I've watched it so much now. I probably don't necessarily pay as much attention as I used to, because even if I haven't seen it in a while. Um. But it still it still entertains. It still shocks. The the special effects still get you. The uh, the, the characters you still like them, even if they're annoying. Like even even Flyboy Steve, you're still like <laughs> yeah. But I I kind of still like you. I understand you're a doofus and and a fuck up, but I still kind of like you. And so yeah, I think overall it's it's still just as effective. And I, and yeah, it's definitely I think my favorite of the. The original, the original three. I mean, I love the other two as well, but but this one I think is the the one I could watch and pay most attention to. So yeah. And I, I hate to ask a question this deep into the night, but why <laughs> yeah. is this film unrated? Because of the violence, the the gore that was in it was so intense. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, so it's not that it it is not rated; it is unrated. Well, it's it, they, if they had submitted it for rating, it would have been given an X at the time. See, mm. so, that's what yeah. I've always wanted to watch: they, an X-rated horror movie. That was they X didn't have, right? They didn't, didn't have NC-17 at the time. It was it would have been X. 
and so they chose to release it unrated, is my understanding. But, but what do you think this would have been today? I mean, uh, today this I is guess an, it I mean, an R today. An R. Yeah. yeah, this is an no, R today. Yeah, because, today yeah. this is like a PG. I mean, come on. This is <laughs> yeah. I was thinking PG thirteen. Yeah. No, I. <laughs> well, I mean that it's funny because head explosions are less. Like they're not something that's as big a deal anymore, to be honest. Right? It used to be, oh my god, a head exploding. I think I now I think when he bites that woman's shoulder and tears out a chunk, to me that's probably one of the most just dis- disturbing and disgusting shots in the film. So, but that's what it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we've uh, <laughs> we've we've become so far and we've become so desensitized that yeah, it's actually kind of mind blowing that this was this was so scandalous when it came out. Um, and hey, speaking of being desensitized, Renee, why don't you give us your final rants and ratings for Dawn of the Dead? <laughs> so I can definitely appreciate what Alan's sentiments were, because for me also, you know, I saw bits and pieces as a kid, but nothing that really stuck out to me. It was, you know, kind of like how I remember as a kid, the scene in Mad Max where the guy, you know, had to saw his arm off or leg off, I forget. Anyway, I knew something had to do with the saw and somebody had to cut off a body part. Anyway, um, but it really was, you know, I can definitely appreciate the uh, special effects that they did. Um, the All the makeup and everything that they did, um, even compared to, you know, some stuff you see today. So, you know, I could definitely appreciate that. I can appreciate... Um, you know, kind of what it was for the time and everything else. Anyway, I would give it a four. And uh, yeah, I it's it's kind of interesting because it feels like, you know, it, it feels like, you know, your typical movie, you know, kind of goes up, you know, like a little hill. You know, you get your climax and you get your ending. And, and this sort of felt like it dipped a little bit because it kind of, you don't want to say it got boring, but it got a little, say, slow in the middle but in a sense, it was sort of the climax. It was kind of the height of that consumerism and how much could they stand at that point of having everything they wanted. Um, anyway, uh, thought it was interesting for that as well. So, yeah, four. That's my final answer. Nice. Well, you know, I had this movie on VHS back in the 90s. And like I said, uh, I amassed quite a few versions of this film over the years, but I think I had more than one version on VHS. At least I had more than one copy. In fact, I'd say I probably had as many as five copies of this on VHS. So I'm going to have to give it, uh, well, I'm going to have to give it all five tapes. This is a hard <laughs> five for me. Um, yeah, this is, I, I genuinely believe, like, I think I gave, yeah, I know I gave Night a five because it is a groundbreaking film that still holds up today. It's still amazingly well made. But if I had to choose one Desert Island film, I mean, one Desert Island film out of every film ever made, I think it might be this movie. I could watch this movie endlessly. I actually never get tired of this movie. It's kind of funny because, uh, and maybe it's because I, I haven't been around enough to watch it as many times as, uh you know, some of you other guys. Um, no offense, but because you're old, but the... <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I, think, I, I feel like may, I feel like I could watch this every week for the rest of my life, and I would still not get tired of it. This is genuinely one of probably one of my top five, maybe one of my top two or three movies of all time. So yeah, this is a hard five for me. This is five VHS tapes. I've I've actually 
gone in, I'm one of those weirdos. I went into the video store and volunteered to, to to loan out some of my copies just to make sure that everyone had one that they could watch. So um so yeah, it's it's a five for me. It's it's a wow. masterpiece of cinema. Wow, I think it's I think it's one of the best films ever made, even though like I said, there are a lot of things about it I complain about. I still don't get some of the relationships. I still don't get some of the characters. I hate the slapstick. I, I'm actually kind of annoyed by some of the uh, the biker stuff. We we didn't have we we kind of cut that conversation a little bit short for time, but um, there's probably a lot of other things I could go into about that. But yeah, I, there's so much about this film that I'm like, yeah, this some of this doesn't work, but yet still, at the end of the day, if I am rating this one, I have to I have I cannot give it less than a five. So yeah, this a this is a solid five, and I believe that gives us an average of uh, 4.15, which is you know respectable respectable we've had that is correct and i'm i'm always amazed at how close we are to like the like where like so 114,000 people have given this a rating on imdb yeah and we are 0.2 off of that rating wow so even with our varied wow. and only small sample size yeah we, we 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 come close a lot to what imdb has we're good has yeah then that's good though that means that we have that means that we have a good representation uh across uh, all of our opinions i guess so yeah cool well yeah i think that sums up our dawn of the dead coverage but man we've got a lot more living dead coverage to come because there are still four more installments in this series and then we're going to go a little bit crazy we're going to talk about uh remakes we're going to talk about spinoffs we're going to talk about uh i don't know there there are so many movies that are kind of tangential to this series that i have no idea where we'll we're gonna stop so it could be uh you know it could be it could be seven or eight more episodes it could be 70 or 80 more episodes i'm just kidding uh paul would not stand for that however (laughs) i'm okay with it i'm all right so i know as long as we pace them out i believe before we started this uh a couple months before we even talked about doing these movies you used the term zombie doubt so um <laughs> I, oh i am i am but that's all right yeah so you just you're just free for you oh, zach okay. i'd watch him perfect um yeah zombied out yeah and that does not mean that he was being turned into a zombie he was just tired of zombie movies ever yeah. i will say uh so our next episode uh on on the living dead series is going to be day of the dead which is going to be in uh hopefully four weeks after this episode drops uh we'll see we've had a lot of life stuff come in and uh, we've had to kind of reorganize our release schedule. Uh, but yeah, stay tuned for hopefully in a month, we will be covering Day of the Dead. However, that means that in two weeks, we're going to be covering something that's not Living Dead related. And that movie is going to be whatever movie you guys call out right this very moment. That's right, folks. We have not planned anything. We're doing this live. Someone throw <laughs> Not Microwave Massacre. <laughs> what? Paul, oh, oh, Paul, I'm muting you. <laughs> Alan, Renee, you get one chance. <laughs> you guys have a movie that you want to talk about for three hours. Alan, I'll give you first dibs. Shrek the musical. Paul, I mean, oh, you're huh? muted. In, anytime anybody asks me, you know, I either, you know, of course I throw out a Serbian film first. Okay, and you're shot muted down. too. <laughs> Renee, it's all up or to you. A realistic, a realistic movie. I mean, if we were going to do one, I would do one of my favorites, which is uh, Falling Down. Oh, oh, okay. In two weeks, join us for falling down from who did that? Was that that wasn't Tony Scott, was it? I don't know who did it. I just know Michael Douglas is in Michael it. Michael Douglas is in it. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God, I can't remember who, who directed that. Anyways, yeah. Uh, join us in uh, two weeks for our coverage of uh, uh, Fal- Microwave Massacre. Not, God damn it. 
<sighs> okay, so we're, we're definitely not going to do Microwave Massacre at all. I, I, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Okay, I just looked it up. Yeah, I just looked it up. I knew it was someone I know. No, that is, uh, in two weeks, we're going to be doing uh, a full episode on Joel Schubacher's 1993 film, Falling Down, which is, uh, if you haven't seen it, go watch it now because it's a great, I don't know, what do you call it? A thriller or a drama? Some, somewhere in between those. A look into the future. A look, oh God, a look into my present. Um, what my daily so yeah uh join us in two weeks for discussion of michael douglas and robert duvall in falling down it's going to be a lot of fun uh i haven't watched this movie in probably 15 years so i very vaguely remember it but i remember it's a bit of a roller coaster and hopefully our episode will be as well until then you know stay safe and aim for the head good night good night Hey, it's nine o'clock. Get out. I don't believe We're it. We're going to get out in the chopper. We've got to survive. Somebody's got to survive. They kill for one reason. They kill for food. They eat their victims. Imagine, if you will, that something has gone terribly wrong. Shoot him, man. Now, accept the fact that there's no escaping the horrible consequences. George Romero brings back the dead. Night of the Living Dead has ended. Dawn of the Dead is here. We must not be lulled by the concept that these are our family members or our friends. They are not. They will not respond to such emotions. Operator dead. Post abandoned. We may never get out of the room. It's everywhere. What the hell is it? Looks like a shopping center. One of those big indoor malls. What are they doing? Why do they come here? Some kind of instinct, memory, what they used to do. This was an important place in their lives. What is it? We've got a war. I'm afraid. We have spawned our own savagery. Soon, it will consume us all. It is a horrible, hauntingly accurate vision of the mindless excesses of a society gone mad. They must be destroyed on sight. When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. We are down to the line, folks. We are down to the line. Dawn of the dead.